Welcome, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Hard News on Friday nights with Tara and Rama on BBS Radio Station One. So we're grateful you're joining us here. And I hear that calling drum. <laughs> so let's take a few gentle breaths and get into that heart space. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, slowly and gently. Let go of that dross of the day on that exhale. You hear that drum calling that, calling us together. So go into that heart space. Gather with your guides and guardians your healing teams, your spirit teams, your ancestors, your guides, your totems, whoever you like to join with that kimi drum with. And there's a council fire and it's in the center. So let us all gather around that fire. Come in close. In that virtual way we know how to do. Make that perfect circle around it. As we call in those seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition, 
We welcome from the east, the house of light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see all things in clarity. Welcome from the north, the house of night. May wisdom mature among us so that we may see everything from within. And we greet from the west the house of transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. We greet from the south, house of the eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruits of the planetary being. We greet from above the house of paradise. Where the star people ancestors gather, may their blessings reach us now. Mm, we welcome from the below the house of the earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart bless us with its harmony so that we might end war. And we welcome from the center source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May everything be recognized as the light of mutual love. Ayum Hunaku even Maya Imaho Ayum Hunaku even Maya Imaho Ayum Hunaku even Maya Imaho All hail the harmony of mind and nature In lock S Alakan, I am another you. And you are another me. Homotakli us in all my relations. <laughs> Let's take a few moments. Just stay wherever that drum beat took you. We're gonna look at the Mayan record of days for today when we just entered the wave of the wizard yesterday. So we're on the second day of this wave where the guidance for this wave is to seek truth and true spirituality. 
And we just finished the beginning of this this um, harmonic module, the Zulkin, and uh, those first 13 days we were setting our intentions for this 260-day gestation, I call it, <laughs> cycle. And so we planted those seeds and we're moving right along <clears throat> to the second wave of the, of the Zulkin. And we're on day two. So day two is man, the blue lunar eagle. The lunar tone is the two, and the eagle is the 13th tribe. No, no, 15th tribe. And uh, the tribe 15 men, the eagle, is three um, descriptive words, create, mind, and vision. And that tone, too, for today, the lunar tone, is stabilizing, challenge, and polarize are its descriptive words. For the affirmation, as here it is, for the day today, I polarize in order to create stabilizing mind. I seal the output of vision with the lunar tone of challenge. I am guided by the power of accomplishment. And the accomplishment, which which tribe is accomplishment? Can you do you know? <laughs> it's Monique, the healing hand. It's that hand. So, <clears throat> and the support uh, glyph for the day is the seed, con, and the challenge glyph for today, the antipode, is the serpent, Chichong. And uh, the guide, <clears throat> the fourth, the fourth cycle, or this spiritual guide for today, or the occult glyph is Kimi, the linker of worlds, or the world bridger. So we have that Kimi drum <laughs> doing that work, and uh, yeah. So that's what we're working with today. This blue lunar eagle day. And then moving right along, well, let's look at that eagle just a little bit closer and see see what it's about. Um, It's a visionary aspect, and it's that that high-flying eagle gets to see all the details, so... Uh, it's it's about our commitment to service and moving consciousness to source and reconnecting with all creation. So seeing that big picture. So let's embrace these gifts of independence and that belief in ourselves as we let go of any feelings of despair, any dissociation, or any illusion of separateness. We embrace these energies today. And then moving on to Saturday, it's a three keep. Keep is a warrior, so <clears throat> so it carries that warrior aspect. And its work is about trusting in our journey and bringing awareness of right action. So we embrace, embrace these gifts of the warrior, that communication with the divine, that access to cosmic consciousness. As we let go of any limitation, restriction, any hesitation, 
We embrace these energies on Saturday as we do our work together again. <laughs> and then on Sunday, it's a four kaban, the red self-existing earth. So we have that healing aspect of the earth kaban as we are keepers of the earth and we bring awareness of earth energy. We are aware of earth energy. We keep, we tune in. So let's embrace these gifts of having that access to planetary harmony and being that balancing point in working with our intuition, listening, responding, and letting go of any separation or any failure to read the signs. Let go of any disassociation. So that's Sunday, and then moving on to Monday, it's the new moon. And we get to celebrate that new moon, and it is at 2.06 a.m. in Pisces. And the sun is in Pisces as well. So, yeah, so it's the white overtone mirror at Snob. It's a five at Snob. So this et knob energy is the mirror or the cutting tool, either one, depending how you want to look at it or be with it. It's another warrior aspect. So we work on our groundedness with this energy and that wise use of honesty. And, and that self-understanding we gain as we look into the mirror and as we see each other as a mirror, <laughs> we see ourselves. So we embrace these gifts of scrying the unseen, that working with that fluidity and persistence of the mirror, the <clears throat> reflective image. Let us let go of any illusions of separateness. Let go of fear or abandonment uh, or illusions as well as we embrace these energies on Sunday, I mean Monday, on that new moon at New Moon Day. And then on Tuesday, it's a portal day. It's Kowak. And it's a visionary aspect. So we're working with creating transformation for others as we like clear thoughts and embrace these gifts of that possibility of freedom and that power of catalyzing that storm energy. So let's let go of any addiction to crisis, any despair or any fear or any illusion of separateness with this energy. And it's portal day, so we're accentuating everything. <laughs> and then on Wednesday is a seven to how the yellow resonance sun. And Oh, wait a minute. I also want to mention on Tuesday, it's Shrove Tuesday. So um, that precedes <laughs> Ash Wednesday. So on uh, Wednesday, the seven of Howl, the yellow seven resonant sun. And, and it's Ash Wednesday, and it's also Washington's birthday. And so there you go. It's. Um, a healing aspect, so it's about rising to Christ consciousness and striving towards wholeness and transmuting energy, transmitting energy to others. And so we embrace that those gifts of possibility, thinking, unconditional love, the God self, 
as we let go of any limitation or separation. We do this work on Ash Wednesday. <laughs> so it's time to give something up. And then <clears throat> on Thursday, it's an eight imish. It's the dragon energy. <clears throat> So we're working with that artist aspect with Amish, and our work with with Amish is creation. It's the beginning. It's the it's the first glyph of the wheel as we go around the wheel. It's self dependence. It's trusting as in the universe. And it's working with clarity of mind. So let us embrace these gifts of being that source of creation and and the gift of the beginning as we let go of any illusions of lack of support. It's this dragon energy, and it's the galactic tone, so it's the octaves. And uh, <clears throat> so it has that resonance of the octave. There's there's three tones that um, really relate to the positions of the sound. One is Monday on the, the five-tone. is um, It's the overtone. It's called the overtone, and it's a harmonic. And then on the eighth, we have the octave. And then on the 13th tone, we have the chromatic. And so these all relate to positions of musical notations so and harmony. So I find that interesting to make, take note of. <laughs> so then um, on Friday, when we come back, it's a night eek, and it's another portal day. So we're working with the white solar wind, and we're working with a visionary aspect with the wind. It's about co-creation of heaven on earth and truth in all matters. So we're remembering our unity with spirit and as we embrace these gifts of having that voice of spirit and spirit working through us. And as a portal day, it's going to be happening big time. So pay attention, listen, respond, and let go of any judgment of others or any secretiveness as we embrace these energies on Friday. And we'll talk about some more next Friday when we come back. Right now, I'd like to take a few moments, change my hat, and talk a little bit about the housekeeping as we are our listener-supported radio program. It's all of us that make it happen. <laughs> so, um, we have expenses each week with BBS Radio, and on Monday, we need $777. So, we want to really concentrate on making those donations to um, <clears throat> our our fees for BBS Radio and, and do that in a, a generous way. <laughs> so we can get caught up because that's too far behind and um, we don't want to get caught off. So let's pay a little attention to that. Here's how we make it happen. We go into our heart space and see what is ours to give and then double it. (laughs) And then go to bbsradio.com, click on radio station one, and you'll find our, you're looking for the menu and the listings. Uh, for Thursday and Friday at the 6 o'clock hour, and these are Pacific times, you'll see on Thursday, uh, Night at the Roundtable, 
with the panel. You can click on that icon there. And then on Friday, this program, Hard News on Friday Nights with Tara and Rama, you can click on that icon there. Either way, you'll get right to our account there at BBS Radio by doing that, where you can make a donation in any amount using your bank card. So we're grateful, we're grateful, very grateful for you taking that action. And uh, let's all just pitch in a little and see what happens. I bet we can do it. <laughs> let's make it happen this week. And um, so, so so much gratitude. Thank you for showing up that way. And thank you, all of you, for all the ways that you show up in your lives. We're grateful for your presence here. And we're grateful for your lives and grateful that you join us. So thank you for your contributions. And uh, so <clears throat> 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. And we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And right now they don't have any food, but they have a bill. They're not eating because they got, <laughs> Need twenty one more dollars, and we'll have enough to pay a set a ninety five dollar bill on Monday that is due for their car insurance. And uh, so, if anyone can send them some money for eating, that would be awesome. <laughs> they also need money for gas, and they also need the car needs three hundred dollars for a CV joint that has to happen. They just um. You know, if you don't fix one of those, the wheel can, wheel can fall off and it would, could cause an accident and that wouldn't be good. So uh, let's reach into our heart space as we make these donations to Tara and Rama. And uh, what else? So they need $250 to buy food and gas and um, 300 for that for the mechanic to do that job on the car. It doesn't take very long to do it, so it's mostly the expense of the part. And, uh, yeah, the money for bills that that, that are coming in is uh, $21 is what they need to pay that insurance bill. And then, <clears throat> then if they could get the money for the cars and money for food and gas, that would really... That's essential. It's just essential. So let's talk about how how we make that happen. You need you. I want to give you uh, the connection for Rama's PayPal account, and there's there's two ways to do that. One is to go to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net, and there on the home page, you cl- as you click on the menu menu grid, you'll see a menu drop down near the bottom of that list is a donate button that links you to Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account. And then alternatively, as you enter Rama's, as you go to paypal.com, you can enter Rama's email address there for the friends and family option. And uh, that email address is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999, at hotmail.com. And then you can make a donation that way. And it goes a little further that way, but either way is perfect. We're so grateful for all your donations. Thank you so much for taking that action. 
Then after sending something, please let Brahma know in that email address to let him know. Koran, K-O-R-E-N, 999-39 at Comcast.net. And let's see, what else? Yeah, and if you need it, the mailing address is Rom D. Berkowitz, R-A-M. D. Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Berkowitz, and that's at Post Office Box 280-280, and that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip code is 87567, and I'll say it again, 87567 is the zip code for Santa Cruz, New Mexico. And there you have it, all the information you need. So, so much gratitude for all of your gifts and all the ways you show up. And uh, so I can say it again, 13 thank yous, honey in the heart, long life, no evil. And I'm passing this talking stick. Um, And what is this talking stick looking like? Oh, my. Hmm. It's powerful. There's a lot of, of a lot, lot of the healing rays are there, and um, all the healing rays are there, and all kinds of rainbow energy and lots of of feathers and fairies, and then a Quetzalcoatl and that sort of truth and. Many powerful beings are there. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. It's got unicorns and dragons. <laughs> Here it comes. Thank you, Rainbird, and greetings, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Greetings. Thank you. Happy New Moon in Pisces coming up. Next Monday. At about 2-something in the morning, 2.08 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, And it's a big deal. We're going to have our sister, what's her name? Jocelyn Starfeather. Yeah, she's going to give us a little blowdown on it tomorrow, on Saturday. Yes. And then she's going to talk about March and what that's going to be about as well so come on come on join us that ought to be real interesting uh, uh, as we're here on Friday we are going to play two democracies now because they're both so big story you know and uh, they're going to play they There's an hour with Seymour Hersh on Wednesday's Democracy Now. And believe me, he's not dull and boring. So come and join us. And he gives Zelensky a a boot. He just says, you know, if only Zelensky would stop killing his own people. I, You know, from your lips to God's ears, we're the only ones that are saying it seems like. Everybody else has been duped into saying, wonderful, Zelensky, come and talk to Congress, come and talk to the EU. Oh, you know, come and talk to Germany, whatever. Or the UK. He went all over the place. Like he's the great ambassador for some more killing tools for profit. 
<laughs> so anyway, that's what we're going to do that, and then we're going to play Friday too. Uh, so Rama just gave me the report. And he's saying here, I received a text message from Lady Natasha at 11.51 a.m. late this morning. She said to me, Lord Rama, I guess we'd better jump to it if that's 22 minutes. Yeah. It's I, already too late. It's too late. It's too late. So I don't know when we're going to fit that in. Tomorrow. Okay. Uh, okay. I received a text message from Lady Natasha at 11.51 a.m. late this morning. She said to me, Lord Rama, President Macron gave a speech today calling on the Western Allies to do a counter-offensive against Russia. Just to remind everybody. Uh, <laughs> when, when we hear that word Russia coming from an oligarch or a, a highfalutin president like Macron. They're keeping on saying it's Russia, but the Russia is really a puppet Putin uh, and the string masters, the puppeteers, are the oligarchs. And they're saying that Putin is ordering this to be done, but it's not even Russia doing it. It is Zelensky bombing his own people and begging for more guns and mortar and whatever else so he can do it some more. Okay, I hope everybody has that one clear. So we continue on. Um... Mr. Zelensky also gave a speech this morning in Brussels, Belgium, to the EU, calling, calling for the West, meaning all those countries in the European Union, to give Ukraine more weapons. What else? Natasha, so he can kill his own people, both sides against the middle, and say it's I got to do this because Russia's doing it, but I'm doing it. Uh, he's not saying that, but that's what we're saying here. And the deep state and Biden and everybody else is in the game. And at the time in 2014, John McCain was there with Biden. And they were setting it up to, to, to slaughter then. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, so anyway. What was that story about Hunter Biden? I don't remember exactly. Oh. Oh, well, I think it was on the Colbert show. We'll do something about that tomorrow night, too. Uh, oh, my goodness. Okay, so Natasha said at this point, Lord Rama, this would be a very bad move. What I could call this... Lord Rama, is nuclear saber-rattling. And we all know where that leads. Captain Ashtar and the Galactic Federation said, no, nukes. That's a big period at the end of that. You might say it the way people say it when they mean it. No nukes, period. Yeah, we are watching 
I mean, this isn't a fluid, active situation on the planet right now, and it would be in everyone's best interest on the planet to send the violet flame and the rose-colored ray, the emerald green ray to these countries that are pushing for nuclear war. And we have been told, I don't know how many times over the years, and even Dr. Greer in his own way has said, if, you know, push comes to shove and we're at that point, the galactics will not allow a nuclear war on this planet. And we're going to have to do some serious talking with each other because, you know, war is never the answer. And um, Yeah, but that sleepy Joe will go for a nuclear war in a hot minute because he planned it all the way back with John McCain starting in 2014. They they wanted to make it a, 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 the, the, the nuclear and that is just a hologram you pulled the plug Ground. from the wall. What'd you do? You pulled the plug from the wall. You end the hologram. Oh. That simple. Well, holograms can be shut down, and the King of Swords knows just when to do it. And Correct. he doesn't do it unless St. Germain says, now. Mm, inshallah. <laughs> okay, there was a huge uh, tube. 0.21 X-class solar flare today. I am letting you know, just work with the gentle-hearted energy of the deer. Today, and as we go through this weekend, and into the new moon on Monday, the 20th, at 2.08 a.m. Eastern Time, early in the morning and beyond. Three days before and three days after. Um, well, that's for a full moon, but I say it's also for the, uh, mm. the new moon. It's just a powerful, so powerful right now. The whole transition period uh, of ending... Uh, this corrupt cabal's game of sucking money out of everybody on earth and putting it in their pockets and just hoarding it. It brings me a memory because uh, I don't know when that was. But, uh, the King of Swords told Rama at some point that these really super wealthy people actually came together and agreed. Oh, I think who said that to them? Wasn't it Saint Germain? He said, you guys, you know, you got to cough up half of your wealth to set up projects and foundations to help the people of the world. And they all said, fine, fine. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three bags full. And they didn't lift one single finger to help anybody. And as a matter of fact, they got together and plotted to take people out. Uh, and we were talking about that. There's maybe three and a half billion people on the planet. And, you know, I heard Dr. Greer say eight billion. We've already crossed eight billion. Uh, so that means if there's really only three and a half billion, 
four and a half, five and a half, six and a half, seven and a half. That means they killed four and a half billion people in the last three years, Fauci and friends. Yeah, it is a and at this point, big story. You know, they did a lot of killing by the COVID that they released, and they released it into a marketplace in Beijing. Was it? Oh, uh, that Wuhan wet market. Yeah, where they had pang pang What was the name of that Pe- animal? Oh. Pangolins. Pangolins. And uh, and they did not have any form of the virus. All of this has been a black op, and it's huge. Well, then how did they get the virus into the world? Uh, I know that the underground bases underneath the ground of Ukraine, how many? 42 laboratories? They messed they around with COVID there and also with the jabs there. Uh, uh, right now, more people are dying from getting jabs than from getting COVID. Uh, I, I've been wanting to get that out. And I was telling Rainbird not to mention that, you know, it's time to start thinking of the rent. And uh, I just want to, I'm just going to say, yeah, it is. I'm just wanting not to overwhelm anybody. Uh, uh, It's really critical that we, you know, tidy up um, the payments to BBS Radio. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Rama will uh, get a request out there to be sent around. Uh, And it might not get done until Sunday. Tomorrow. You think so? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll see, but we'll do our best. So anyway, uh, let's just say to finish this. Um, regarding the so-called news that the British Crown now owns all of the United States territory. That is only on paper, and that paper is worthless. There is a very big, great reckoning happening right now, and it is about the return of the Kachinas, the Native American term for the return of the Emerald Serpent Feathered One and other Ascended Masters. Another name for the emerald serpent feathered ones, emerald green serpent feather ones, is uh, Quetzalcoatl. And another name for Quetzalcoatl is Lord Katumi. And Lord Katumi's on the sunshine yellow ray of what's that term? Active intelligence that's the term for Lord Katumi active intelligence and I can't forget what Richard said the astrologer he said this and it doesn't ever leave my head he said that in the Carlos Castaneda's books Don Juan said the humans 
on this race of um, the human race on this planet have a really big problem with something called stupid. So call in Quetzalcoatl and all of the active intelligence he brings. And that might just help uh, eliminate stupid. So, <laughs> I, I, I mean, that makes sense to me. So, um, so there were the return of the Kachinas, Emerald Serpent Feathered One, Quetzalcoatl, Ascended Master, um, Katumi, um, Sanaka Kumara is another name for his for him. Sanaka Kumara is very interesting. See you in the light of the most radiant one. Sat Nam Namaste. Peace down. We are the ones we are waiting for. You know, like duh. <laughs> and I'm not uh, in accusing anybody of stupid, but sometimes we also are fighting for against our own best win. Our own best interests, and uh, it does require meditation. It requires calling on your higher self, calling on God, Goddess, all that is, and that's including the ability to give and receive in balance, and that's called harmony, or something we call harmony of the spheres. Harmony of the spheres is the emerald green color, giving and receiving in balance. And it's all based on love. Everything else is illusion. And there's plenty of that in those media giants. Elon Musk and his world and Rupert Murdoch in his world. I mean, Rupert Murdoch's in his 90s somewhere. 91, 92, 93, I'm not sure. And uh, Elon Musk, he wanted to control and own the Internet Twitter sphere. And he made a pretty... uh, He lost something like $40 billion dollars. And he's got so much more billions that he said, oh, well. I mean, holy catfish. And, of course, there's, um, you know, there's going to be next year, I think they're starting, they're going to be building these, um, what do you call them? There's a Electric car power. Power uh, stations. Yeah. And, and the ones that, that, that you got now, you have to have them on for at least three hours to recharge those electric cars. So you got to have something personal in your garage to do that with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard that they've got the technology now where those power stations, uh, they'll be able to recharge in three minutes mm-hmm. what it would take three hours to do. So... I'm I'm for that, mm-hmm. and they have on the uh, lower end of the cost realm. They have electric cars for sale for in the twenty thousands range. Uh, uh, it still sounds like a lot of money, but at the high end, those things are up there. What sixty thousand more? I mean, it's that's crazy, but that's. That's, that's, you know. So, Nasara, now, 
and it's time to uh, Rama pass the talking stick to you, and let's get the numbers to call to um, come to se- our conference calls here. Seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one, and the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. See you there, and then we'll be back here at the top of the following hour, and. Uh, join BBS Radio again and uh, best radio there is bar none yes we can alright, namaste we'll see you on the conference namaste
Hi, Precious Heart. Thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. During this love-filled time, when people all over the world are focusing on Valentine's Day and the love they have for the special people in their lives, we have the perfect opportunity to empower a vitally important aspect of our ascension process, which is raising our consciousness. Myriad lightworkers all over the world strive every day to help the masses of humanity to raise our consciousness in one way or another. At any given moment, our consciousness is reflecting everything we think, feel, and believe. As we diligently strive to raise our consciousness, it is time for us to accept the profound truth that the fastest way for us to raise our consciousness is through love. Today, as love floods the planet through the collective cup of humanity's consciousness and bathes every facet of life on earth in its resplendent frequencies, we have the ability to utilize that love in positive ways on behalf of humanity and all life evolving on Mother Earth. The company of heaven has shared with us that the very essence of our omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent Father, Mother, God pulsates with the frequency of oneness reflected in what is known throughout all creation as unity consciousness. On this love-filled day, the company of heaven will join us for an activity of light that is dedicated to shifting the mass consciousness of humanity closer to the very essence of our Father, Mother, God's unity consciousness. If you have the heart call to participate in this activity of love, please join with me now. And we begin. I am my I am presence, and I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. But I invoke for myself this day. I invoke on behalf of every man, woman, and child on earth in perfect alignment with each person's divine plan and the highest good for all concerned. This is possible because we are one and there is no separation. As one breath, one heartbeat, one voice, and one energy, vibration, and consciousness of pure divine love, I invoke our Father, Mother, God, and the entire company of heaven to assist the I Am presence of every person on earth to victoriously accomplish this activation and this facet of our individual and collective divine plans in perfect divine order. Beloved Father, Mother God, and the legions of light throughout infinity, I ask that you gather up every electron of precious life energy being expended by humanity this sacred and holy day. Purify this energy, 
with the power and might of a thousand suns using the new frequencies of the fifth dimensional crystalline solar violet flame of God's infinite perfection. Weave this purified energy into the collective cup of humanity's consciousness so that every electron of precious life energy expressed by the sons and daughters of God this day will be used to raise the mass consciousness of humanity. This includes raising our planetary cause of oneness, comprehensive divine love, eternal peace, God's infinite abundance, vibrant health, eternal youth, truth, reverence for all life, and humanity's return to the very essence of our Father Mother God's oneness known as unity consciousness. Beloved Father Mother God, I ask that the newly balanced frequencies of the divine masculine and the divine feminine now pulsating within every person's heart flame expand and expand with every elevated holy breath I take. Create from this sacred fire a heart of love. Allow this love to blaze through each person's heart flame until it envelops the entire planet Earth. Now, the legions of light from every ascended level of being join in this activation. These selfless messengers of God breathe their infinite love in, through, and around every facet of life on earth. This unprecedented influx of divine love floods the earth, blessing every man, woman, and child. As this gift of divine love bathes the earth, every atomic and subatomic particle and wave of life on this planet is lifted out of the chaos into a higher order of being. The light of God now flows into the mental body, the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, the superconscious mind, and the physical brain structure of every person on earth. This gift of light from our Father Mother God balances the right and left hemispheres of each person's brain and activates our spiritual brain centers to a higher level of receptivity. Through this activation, each person's pineal, pituitary, and hypothalamus glands and the ganglionic center at the base of the brain are recalibrated to the highest potential we are capable of reaching at this moment. Utilizing this powerful gift of light, each person's I am presence now strengthens the circuitry within our physical brain structures, 
enabling us to withstand a higher frequency of unity consciousness. This activation is healing the fragmented circuitry that has prevented humanity from remembering the oneness of all life. This fragmentation has also blocked us from consciously communicating with our I Am Presence and the company of heaven. Now, the I Am Presence pulsating within each of our heart flames creates the sacred space that enables us to open our fifth dimensional crown chakra of unity consciousness to full breath. This will assist all of us to communicate with our I Am Presence and with the company of heaven on a conscious level through open heart and mind telepathic communication as we reach ever higher into the consciousness of our Father Mother God, reflecting unity, oneness, and reverence for all life. As we hold the focus of our attention on the light of God that is now flowing through every person's physical brain structure, we clearly see humanity's physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies being flooded with the resplendent light of God. This multidimensional, multifaceted, free-flowing, fifth-dimensional crystalline solar light expands into every cell of humanity's earthly bodies, allowing the I Am presence of each person to take full dominion of this experience. Instantaneously, we now see the truth of every person on Earth. We see every person as a precious child of God, no matter how far their behavior patterns or their life experiences may be from reflecting that truth. We perceive all of their human miscreations and their unbalanced energies as innocent primordial light. Entering our awareness now, to be transmuted back into light and loved free. We happily greet our sisters and brothers in the family of humanity and all of their unbalanced energy the same way our Father Mother God would greet them. We greet them with love from within the embrace of peace, detachment, God confidence, and infinite compassion. As these precious souls surrender to the light, their consciousness is raised into unity consciousness, and they begin to remember that they are beloved sons and daughters of God. With this sacred knowledge, they once again find their proper place in the universe they remember that they are one with all life and that love 
is all there is. In perfect divine order, they are set free to live and to co-create the patterns of love, oneness, eternal peace, and God's infinite abundance on the new earth. Now, in infinite gratitude, the I am presence of every son and daughter of God affirms. Beloved Father, Mother God, from your glorious heart, I came into being and into your loving heart one day when my service here on earth is through, I shall return. I thank you for the privilege of having life and for my physical embodiment during this sacred time when divine love, eternal peace, God's infinite abundance and the patterns of perfection for the new earth are being co-created. In deep humility, I offer you the cup of my consciousness as a holy grail through which the light of God will flow to fulfill the divine plan for the new earth. Beloved Father, Mother God, from this moment forth, with every balanced and elevated holy breath I take, empower me with the ability to radiate the comprehensive divine love of God's unity consciousness to all life evolving on this sweet earth. And so it is, beloved, I am that I am. Dear one, I wish you a love-filled Valentine's Day. God bless you. I look forward to being with you next week. of today to just softly sink in and know that it will unfold like a beautiful soft spiral as your day, your evening, your weekend progresses. And right now, right here, you can feel the love that spirit has for you because you are here today. You took this time from your life to be in this room with the entourage of Cryon, with the family that's here, and with the love that is here. Each one of you knows love in a different way. And when you bring that here to this room, to this gathering, all of the aspects of love are present for you, for each one of us. Take another breath. And know that in that beautiful soup of love, 
love is here for you. Everything you are, everything you bring, and everything love can give you. And if you'd like, just bring your hand to your heart center and touch your heart and say a nice, soft, internal thank you. Thank you to this beautiful friend in your chest that goes everywhere with you and reminds you of the blessing of love, of human love, of the beauty of what you deserve as an honored and loved human. Greetings, dear ones. I'm Cryon of Magnetic Service. There are so many messages that we have given over the years. And each time it begins, and each time my partner sits in the chair, he's unaware of what's coming. But he's often presented with emotions. And the emotions come from that which is the other side of the veil and often corresponds with the kind of message that is going to be given. And if it's going to be scientific, there'll be a certain kind of emotion. If it's going to be informational, a certain kind of emotion. But when it's going to be about the love from the other side of the veil to you, he knows it. And that's what this is. We go from channelings which are filled with revelation, history, beauty, to ones that are simply loving, with no agenda of teaching. This is an exposition of who you are. And to do this correctly, I want to tell you this. Again and again, I said this. You need to hear it now, again. Those of you in the chairs need to hear it. I know who's here. Spirit knows who's here. The creative source who made you knows who's here. You do not live in some kind of vacuum. And yet it feels that way, does it not? It feels like you are surrounded by yourself and that's it. And we've said it over and over. This is the situation that you create as a human being. The circumstances of being linear. That it's just you, one body. And as you walk around, it's just you. But that is not the case at all. The soul that you have, that you call many things, the higher self, that which is grander, the innate, goes way beyond that which walks around in biology. 
There's pieces and parts of you that are connected to every single other human on earth. There are pieces and parts of you that are connected to the other side of the veil. You belong to what is called the soup of God. A group, not just of entities, a group that is the fiber of all things. The peace of God that is in you. The section of God that is in you is connected to all things. And that hides so completely from you. It hides so much that those of you in sorrow and depression, frustration, will go into the corner by yourself, never understanding that there are so many with you, never understanding the connection you have to the other side of the veil. It's always there. The energy of consciousness on this planet literally has dictated the closet you're in. The teaching that you've had even since birth has dictated who you think you are. And who you are is so much bigger. That's been our message for so many years. And getting you to realize it is what the channelings are all about. And so we do it yet again in a different way. But all of the things that we do are slowly graduating into clearer and clearer metaphors. I'm going to give you another one tonight. So profound this could be for you if you let it, if you let it. It's more than a story, much more. And every single piece of it means something else. And that is the way teaching works. You peel the onion of revelation of what is being said in my partner's language into something that becomes what is felt and actionable with you. Actionable is a term we use which means applying to the reality of your life. Something that is actionable for you is more than you listening. It is you becoming. As I tell this story about a human who has a vision. Visions are interesting. And you would define vision differently from person to person. But let's define it for this story. The human being who steps out of three-dimensional reality for just a few moments. And sees things not in his or her world. A vision, a presentation of a grand truth. With things that hide things that are revealed, and things that you can revisit later in your memory. Some of the prophets walked this planet that were the most profound had visions, even before they began, of who they would be, what would happen to them. This is a vision of one human, a human who has no name, 
a human who stands in front of a door in this vision. And it's an enormous door. And on the title, on the door, the title of the door, on a sign, it says, the library of self. A funny term to have a library of self. But the human who opens this door knows that inside there will be a great deal to learn. A library would indicate volume after volume of information. Of self would indicate to the individual that it might be personal. If the self was of the human who opens the door. The human doesn't open the door. The human calls for a guide to open the door. This is because in this vision, it is necessary to have an outside source reveal for the vision. And so in comes a nameless guide with an enormous key ring. This particular guide will then accompany the human in this library because what the human is about to see will require more doors, more unlocking, more revelations, more metaphors, and a little mystery. The guide opens the door. Now here is a metaphor where the guide is not talking to the human yet. It's understood that the guide shows up with the key because the human wants to get in. The door is unlocked. And as it's opened, it's obvious it has not been opened for a very long time. The door's hinges squeak with age. A dim light is there. But the light starts to increase as the human goes in. Without an apparent switch or torches or anything you might expect to create the light, the human arrives and the light is turned on. And immediately the human does not see a library with shelves or books, but a hallway with more doors. And the doors have names on them of things you would expect in a library, subjects to be discovered, to be examined. There is no necessarily order in this hallway. The human can start anywhere. The human in question with this vision sees the labels and the first one is how things work. That is really interesting. You might have even labeled it physics or science or chemistry. It's how things work. He sees some of the other labels on the other doors. There's one called history, one called past. There's one called relationships. There's there's subjects. And in every library, he doesn't know 
what to expect. Behind each door, could it be a, a giant room filled with books, information, a library of self. He motivates immediately toward how things work, looks at the guide, the guide gets out the key. Now, they didn't exchange any words and there was no permission. May I go in? There was none of that. There was, guide, would you please open the door? There was none of that. He simply looked at the door and the guide arrives with the key. The door is open and a vast room is revealed. How it works, literally, is all of the processes of the universe, all of the physics, all of the chemistry, even the multidimensionality of entanglement and beyond, consciousness that becomes physics, graduate planets, how it works, thousands of books, balconies of books, ladders that would reach seemingly to the sky with a light. And he realizes, I'll never get through this. I'll never get through this. The reaction is interesting to the human who looks at it and says it's overwhelming. I don't think I'll begin. And yet the things that are closest to him on the ground floor seem to be germane or that is to say relevant to his life. How things work for him. For her in this human. And the human begins to read certain things and finds, oh my goodness, I never knew this. That explains this. Wow, think of the things in this room. If I could only stay here. In the vision, there is an assumption of a time, a time that is going to end. In other words, the clock is ticking for the vision. And he can't stay very long. And so the human knows that there is no time to study everything. But the vision says it's all there. The human wants to go to some of the other rooms. If there's time, I'll come back. This one is absolutely fascinating. It's all about how things work. And some of these things explain what has happened to me. How things work is not just physics and chemistry. Wow, it's intertwined with my life on how things have happened physically for me in this lifetime, what it is. Can you imagine such a library that touches on the core of what you've been through from your birth to now? You overwhelmed with the fact that all was known and is in a book. He leaves the library, closes the door, and it's locked. Now, there is a symbolism here that says that the human is only allowed to look at one library at a time. That symbolism is that the human is linear, still linear. In this vision, still linear. But as the humans begin, the human begins to open the doors, he realizes that even that is starting to change. 
Could it be that the human is changing even as the library is examined? That's something to think about. He peeks at another door which says history. He's not really into a lot of history, but he knows that beyond that door there are things that no one knows. Some things that have been mysteries forever. He looks at the label on the door and the guide opens the door. Again, he enters. A light starts to come with him as he steps around and he starts to see another library segmented into areas. Civilizations that he's never heard of. The ones he has heard of is one section. The ones he's never heard of in other sections And there are section after section after section, civilization after civilization, names he doesn't know, writing he doesn't recognize. Phenomenal. The ones he does recognize, he sees. He recognizes the words of the civilizations that he knows about. And he starts to read. And he says, I never learned that in school. I didn't know that. Look at look at this. They were here before these and those and wow. This is an amazing thing. Things that go beyond anything that I've ever learned in school are right here. Right here. Again, he's he's cognizant of the clock. He realizes there are so many rooms, there are huge libraries to see. Oh, there are so many volumes, thousands, tens of thousands, describing civilization, history, how things work, how he's related to all of it. He exits this library and goes back into the hall and sees the next room is called the past. (laughs) What's the difference between history and the past? He's about to find out. He looks at the label on the door and it opens. The guide is there with the key. Different keys, different doors. The light follows him in because of his presence as a human. And then he sees it, not books, but crystals. And each crystal has its own story. And he realizes just from the training that he has had as an old soul, he has entered the library of the cave of creation. And in this is not history, unless you call his, her history. It's the history of the human. Each crystal represents a lifetime on the planet. Like some other metaphors we've given, other caves he touches the crystal and immediately is given the story of himself in another time she has another name this human he has another name this human there is another gender one time a man one time a woman they're not lined up in any order they're all the same size and there are thousands overwhelmed he is She is with a profundity of what is there. It occurs to this human 
that they have been here forever. As long as earth has allowed humans to be here, there's a crystal for every lifetime. We once gave you a metaphor, a puzzle, and it involved Jason and the cave. And in that, the human called Jason was so enamored with touching the crystals that he never got out. (laughs) He spent his life touching crystals to find out who he used to be. That's how attractive this is. But he, she, didn't spend that long because there were more. There were more things to show and tell. I'll come back here if I can. It's fascinating. Just a few crystals that were touched brought him, her, into a lifetime with all the facts and the people, the relationships were there. It's almost like the human was living it again. You've gone from books to crystals. You've gone from how it works on paper to touching a crystal and having other visions within a vision. The further you go, the more doors that are open, the more you become multidimensional outside of linearity. Out in the hallway, more doors, more labels. There was one that was attractive and yet it wasn't. I'll just go there right now. A label on the door. Death. Do I go there or not? What does it mean? Is this vision someplace where I'm going to die? Behind the door is there an indication of how long I last. Doesn't have a very good name to a human being, does it? Death. He, she looks at the door. Nothing happens. Where's the guide with the key? I'm brave. I'll see what it does. I'll see what happens here. Where is the door key? Where is the guide? And then the human looks at the door closely and sees there is no doorknob. (laughs) I want you to get this clear. The room is fake. You can't open it. It doesn't exist. The metaphor of the library and the room and the door, there is no death. Profound it is for you to see this, for the human to realize this in the vision. Death would mean that the soul does not exist. And it always does and always has and will forever. In the vision of metaphysical things and the truth, there is no death. There is no way to open the door. There is no way to unlock the door. It's something that doesn't exist. And if you could open it, it would be a brick wall. Are you getting this? More doors, more labels, more things to see. There's a, there's one called relationships. What could be in there? You already had the crystals to talk about what you've lived and what you've expressed and 
You've had indication of, of how things went for you. You've had your past lives. All of these things. Science. History. It had to encompass relationships. So what could be behind this door? It gets better as it goes, doesn't it? <laughs> Looks at the door and out comes the guide. And this time the guide speaks. And the guide says, be ready for this. And unlocks the door. The human walks in. And the light goes with him, her. And inside, there's a party going on. And it's a party with everyone that human has ever been involved in, in all the lifetimes on the planet. The ones they loved and lost, the ones they still know, it's almost like every soul was there. And they look young and they look beautiful. Just like they, they met them the first time. If it's a mother or a father from any lifetime, it's when they were young and beautiful with you as a child. If it's a spouse, it's when you married them. If it's a sister or a brother, it's when you knew them as a child. And they're all there together. And the music is beautiful. And it's so emotional. Because it's real. You see, there was no death. Are you getting this? There was no death. The room of relationships is a promise to you, dear human being. A promise. A reality that you should know is in your library. There's a party outside. <laughs> One more door. It's an interesting door because this door becomes multidimensional and not necessarily understandable. And it's called future. The guide opens the door, the human goes in. The light is enormous, bigger than it ever has been when generated by the human in any other library. It's the biggest room of all. Enormous. But what makes it strange is it's totally and completely empty. <laughs> Do you get the idea? It's empty because it hasn't been created. There are those in this room and listening to this channel that believe the future even of this life they have now is going to be filled with the same kinds of problems and strife that they've had all their life. It's not an empty room. It doesn't have them creating anything. They don't have the ability to understand that tomorrow is a blank page. And that you do not have to carry the burdens of yesterday into tomorrow. But what you have today that makes you fearful, 
you can drop on the floor right now and walk into a light that is your creation for tomorrow, a new human that you are. The doors are shut, the light goes dim, the vision is over. Those of you who wish to analyze this will find stories within stories. Everything means something else. But let me tell you something that you probably have already gathered. The multidimensional human being that you are in your own DNA has this library existing. It is in you today. It is yours. And you don't need a vision to access it. This is the promise of the shift. The ones who seeded you finally were able to walk into this library themselves of their own to see who they were, what they could do, how everything works, the physics of consciousness, the benevolence of belief, the beauty of compassion. As they walked through a society that eventually had no more war, a society that could see the God within and the God without until it finally merged. This is possible with this planet and this civilization because of the shift that has just occurred a few years ago. You are on the infancy, in the infancy, of something enormously grand that will develop over lifetime after lifetime. That is what has happened on this planet. This library inside you exists. Some of you, if you wish, may open any door. You don't need a guide. Dear ones, the guide was necessary in the old energy. The keys are yours. If you want to know really what happened, as you enter what we call the 11th civilization on this planet, you want to know really what happened in that shift in 2012? The whole setup of the nodes and the nulls, the magnetics, all of that gave you the keys to the library. (laughs) It's here. It's inside you. It's magnificent. And it's discoverable in all of its pieces and parts. Which one are you going to go to first? Which one? You're all very different. You all have the issues that a human who is unique has. And each of you will decide based upon this short little channel. Which library room do you want to enter first? What do you need? And I will tell you. You've got a ring of keys for all the doors, except one. There is no death. The human body deteriorates and goes away. So does everything else. But you, the essence of you, is forever. You will have that room with you every single time you come here. It travels with you. The knowledge of everything is inside. Think about these words. Think about the vision. The library of self is in you now. 
It's not somewhere else. And you have the keys. I am crying in love with humanity. And so it is. We are all servants of peace. Every single one of us. And it takes all of us to do this. All of us. Yes. Greetings, Mother. In the light of the most radiant one, in the office of the cross, and only in the office of the Christ, we invoke the loving images of Saint Germain. And the We ask at this time for a deeper insight to what's really going on here. For the sake of compassion and love for all of us no matter what the path, because paths are very many. The truth is one, and that's the one where there's only one of us here. <laughs> no matter what, that's the truth. And uh, the pure spirit of, of that which is called love, truth, peace, freedom, justice, and beauty for all that it can be is in the one of us. And I passed that talking stick. And there's God, Goddess, all it is, is here. Elcyon and Mother and all of us. And we're all equal here. Greetings, Mother. on so see how you can project a little louder mother okay <laughs> energies are quite intense there we go thank you LCO yes yes, yes. 
sun continue to go higher and it's about the radiance of what's pouring in ramifications of this story are huge. Simply love is the answer whatever the issues are. And there are many one of us 
has the answers of how to get it. To work in harmony and balance. The it is this glorious story we are engaged in and at the present moment it's quite a passion play with all the players involved. Each day, the saber rattling gets a little more loud. And each day, what's happening is love is the answer. This is why. Our wayward children are going down, not without a fight. And don't engage, send more love. This is how it heals itself. It's Quite awesome to be whole. All of the present company here across space time. have a unique moment to experience what it is like to take this temple with us with no death. That is the greatest adventure that's unfolding in the present moment. And it's quite simple. Love is the answer of how we get through this. What? Oh, we know they're playing it out with the word games about how they think they're going to save the dead. And it's 
it's tragic but amusing. Send more love. That's the simple answer at this time. Um, mother. Um. I'm just asking for an opinion. Um, um, I'm just wondering. <laughs> what is still necessary for the people to do? within their capacity for the galactic forces of light to support us and for Saint Germain to give the word and order the King of Swords to order the Provost Marshal General to order our military to declare, you know, or the Provost Marshal General to order martial law. Because that we were told was the first step. Nothing would change until that would happen. So what is it? Is there something that we're not doing that's holding up the works? I mean, what does it take when these characters have pretty much murdered in cold blood four and a half billion human beings and the situation is that, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of thousands of people in the UK and they've got big signs and they're saying, you're, uh, you're not our king. And they're talking to King Charles. And I mean, it is called a passion play. Uh, it's been a very long passion play. It's been going on for a hundred years, Mother. How much more passion play do we need? It's ending now, and that's about okay. the solar flares uh-huh. coming in at the beginning and the end of each cycle. We show up to level the playing field. (coughs) The time is present. How that playing field gets leveled. They are with each hour that passes, cutting their own throats with their own hands and we can say send more love it is as as we engage with the wisdom of how this completion happens. 
violence is not the answer, never was. Yet that is going on. How it changes. Is how we apply kindness and compassion in ourselves and it changes physical matter space time to put it simply this is why we are saying each day do the sadhana and it changes everything even if it does not look like it it is changing everything that's how we can put it magnificent what's unfolding I just think that the flash is going to hit somewhere between the end of this month and next month and we do not know what we do know is that the fundamental need change that is unfolding is the frequencies and energies that are pouring in at this time are about kindness and compassion for the least among us in spite of how brutal the energies are with what's going on. still here everybody mother's just taking a drink yes what what we can say is It's a glorious time to be alive. 
I believe that, and um, people are suffering. Indeed. Yeah, and that was the other thing. It was said that... Samsara. Mother, I just wanted you to comment on this, but it was said that the dark side uh, used some kind of technology to create those earthquakes. We would say... stories out there about one side versus the other side in the political financial war that's going on. To put it simply, the energies that are transforming this planet and ourselves are in such a tight alignment that Earth is being transformed from the inside out. It would be in our best interest to help with that process. If or as the thought forms are out there about them using their technology <coughs> to create more darkness, it only opened up a large only opens up a larger black hole for themselves. See, yeah, Mother, what I'm seeing is that the people aren't buying their stuff anymore. No, it's Even over. if it was that the dark side created those things, I mean, the people still aren't buying any of it. With the amount of suffering that's been caused and to let this continue to go on, you know, it's just all I'm asking for is assistance uh, from the higher beings that it can make it so that never again anybody is stuck not having enough time, love, energy, air to breathe, not being able to pay their bills, not to be able to keep the roof over their head, not to be able to eat. I mean, and and a very one-tenth of one percent of these characters have sucked all that money. They're being doing these stock buybacks. They're buying their own stocks back. And that means that those, all the money that people put in there and supported those stocks, they, they bought their own stocks back and put it in their pockets. They think that they can exit this dimension with it and you can't take it with you because like you 
read in the message from Aurora. Okay, but, but you're saying something like that, assuming that the physical body's going to die, and we just discussed that. That's we not necessary saying, either. What? We are saying, I think they're going to live forever with what they have gotten. And well, it's possible. That's absolutely I mean, Leonora has proven that beyond the question of the doubt. She can stay in that body as long as she wants. Yes. <laughs> the time that we are in, we can simply say the age of Kali is complete. And these life forms that have played around with the Babylonian money magic machine. They have sealed their fates. Not much else to say. It is done. And so it is. And what that does that mean? It's, they didn't keep their word, the wealthy ones, and give half of it back to the people. And so sealed their fates doesn't mean they're going to die. It just means that they're being taken away from this planet and they will have to uh, be tried at the, uh, you know, at the court on Dracos for intergalactic war crimes, which most people don't have a clue that these oligarchs have been doing in space. I'd say it's all. In what have they been doing in space? What are the intergalactic war crimes they've been committing? Destroying planets. From Earth? Destroying planets in other parts. How? With what technology? Sidereal technology that's very ancient. And like the Death Star in Star Wars. The people on Earth have that technology right now? No. Well, then what are you talking about? Talking about the ancient wars. Yeah, but that's not now. Right now, these, these ones right now here on Earth are going to be tried from what they've been doing, the ones that are here on Earth now in the court of Dracos for intergalactic war crimes. Why what people what what people have done what that are here now that are going to be taken out we're not talking about the ancient wars. We're talking about what did these ones right now do in space that is considered war crimes. It was about the 13 families. What have they done to create more crimes in space right now? The fact that there is this nuclear threat. But they haven't done it yet. What have they done in space right now? The present moment. The past 
detonations of what has occurred on this planet that has affected the space around this planet is considered intergalactic war crimes. Okay, now give me an example of that so I can comprehend uh, with a concrete example. When you threaten the planet with nuclear annihilation, it comes into the realm of the Galactic Federation. And I know, but they didn't do anything. They just they, threatened. They threw words around. Right? It's not just words. I will say it's been going on. For a long time. Threats are just threats. It is not just threats. Okay, then give me a concrete example that was beyond the threats, because I'm not sure I know. The fact that that please, please, Mother, I'm just I'm racking my brain, and I could use your assistance. What I could say, what we could say about this is we're in a present position where the concept of Blowing up a planet is in the news. And what we could say about that is. Which planet are you talking about now? I'm, not, I'm talking about intergalactic war crimes. So we're talking about Earth. My, my question was that they're guilty of intergalactic war crimes. And I still don't know what that means. One of the planets that was blown up was Moldek. Yeah, but that's not now. That's not the people that are living here now. All time is now. Okay. Okay. Let's put it that way. What occurred then is occurring now. It is all connected. It is mm-hmm. not separate. Mm-hmm. And whether That's you buy right. it or not, they you were the one that relegated uh, the Anunnaki, uh, and yet you threw them off planet Earth and sent them to Maldek. And then they said, okay, we're still going to hate each other and we're going to use thermal nuclear war games right here. And that's what they did. They launched a nuke, one of the sides. There were two uh, boring sides, and one of the sides launched a nuke on the other side. And it blew the whole planet up and created an asteroid belt. And it came back to haunt us here because the the nuclear fallout, uh, it actually traveled back toward Earth, uh, and along the way, 
uh, it picked up all the water on Mars, which radioactivated the rain that fell for 40 days and nights on the people on Earth. That's an intergalactic war crime. Yes. You know, how do you get around radioactive rain? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the chemtrails have radioactive uh, something in them. What do you say to that? Isn't that a... And what we can say is, as we entertain energies that are not of the office of the Christ, it creates other energies that bring the frequencies into a place that is not in balance. Uh, we're not entertaining. I don't think this is very entertaining. No, it is not entertaining. But the media is entertaining us with those ideas that it's fine, and they're saying that something's going on that's not. And we have to say, turn it off if you want some peace of mind. That's that that doesn't solve anything. What has to be done is that something has to intervene, and the way it's going here, it requires galactic intervention. And you've already told us that's required now. So we can't give you an hour a day. No, I know that, but I'm asking the question right now. 70% of everybody is not stable at all. They don't have enough to eat or they don't have enough to keep a roof over their head or they don't have enough to pay their bills. Where is the line drawn in the sand for this to keep going on? I'm not asking you to entertain me, Mother. What we can say is the time is now. The energies are pouring in. And be in the frequencies of what's pouring in Mm -hmm. to change this. And it's about and then you'll take the action. In other words, as, as people actually lead a spiritual life, then you will add it on. Is that what you're saying, Mother? Yes. And it's the time about, is now. Where it doesn't mean soon, it means now. <laughs> Greetings. Thank you, Mother. You're not telling me to go fly a kite, are you? Let's say we're being called and the time is nigh. All right. Thank you for letting me grill you, per se. All we can say is that there are many events unfolding and it's about love. It's the answer to what you're asking and can't be put into linear thinking. It just simply is illogical. That (laughs) is 
Well, you know, the system is linear. In other words, they know that it's illogical, but they're they're still forcing people to be illogical. And folks have free will choice to do whatever the you-know-what they want. Except for one thing, when you're constrained by the money rules of the old system, you cannot do whatever you effing want. Uh, unless you say, I want to do this and I don't give a care if I die. Our folks are doing that as well. Yeah, I don't want to do that and I don't want to be able to not pay my bills either. Of course. And, and the violent fire. Well, okay, blaze the fire, fire. I have faith in the divine prosperity of all that is, showering their blessings upon all who have, have the need right now to lead a simple life and be able to take care of themselves and their children. Indeed, and so it is. And so it is. Greetings. Greetings. In, in the, the light, light of the most radiant one. Kadosh, Adonai, Sabahil. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai, Sabahil. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai, Sabahil. Iliahu, Iliahu, Iliahu. Yod hey, Bod hey, Yava, Adonai, Basu, Baragas. Namaste, Mother. Namaste. Hello, Rama. Where did you go? Mm. Um, I was, I've been in an arboretum. Um, Where? On Lady Master Athena's ship. Oh. I'm just sitting with the trees, listening to the sound of the wind. Mm-hmm. I'm just being in that silence. And that's what's being needed. That great silence. That's the target stick. 
<laughs> Thank you, Rama. Okay, well, um, we are going to play Two Democracy Nows. So maybe it's possible to do the two things at once and nothing at all. They say that we can do that. So we can maintain that inner great silence as we witness these two Democracy Now! reports. And uh, with that, we'll begin. What should we do? Which one should we do first? Should we do Wednesday first? Yeah. Okay. We will do that. There's going to be an hour spent with Seymour Hirsch uh, on the Wednesday Democracy Now! show and truth is being told. Let's put it that way. All right. escalation from the Israeli soldier. Right. Sorry, that's wrong. I'll start at the beginning. Here, on that... It's pure love. And then, uh, Russian Democracy now. If Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the border of Ukraine uh, again. Then uh, there will be uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream two. I am, and I think the administration is very gratified to know that Nord Stream two is now, as you like to say, a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea. As the first anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine approaches. We look at one of the great mysteries of the past year. Who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline connecting Russia to Germany? We'll speak with legendary Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Seymour Hirsch. He exposed the Milan massacre and Abu Ghraib. His latest article is headlined, How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline. Then we go to Michigan, where vigils were held Tuesday night to remember the three Michigan State University students killed in yet another mass shooting. We're all broken by an all too familiar feeling. Another place that is supposed to be about community and togetherness, shattered by bullets and bloodshed. We know this is a uniquely American problem. Since the beginning of this year, on average, there have been more than one mass shooting a day 
And what that means is at least four people were killed. That's the definition of a mass shooting. Four or more are killed. Okay. In the United States. We'll go to Michigan to speak with an MSU professor and also talk to a gun control activist who lost his sister in the Parkland High School massacre five years ago this week. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. A convoy of U.N. aid trucks passed through a newly reopened border crossing into northwestern Syria Tuesday, where some earthquake survivors have been waiting for help for over a week. In Turkey, nine survivors were pulled from the wreckage Tuesday as the death toll from last Monday's 7.8 magnitude earthquake and aftershocks topped 41,000 across Turkey and Syria. The World Health Organization warned of the risk of waterborne diseases amidst the massive destruction and displacement in both countries. Medical workers also report many patients with mental health concerns, including PTSD. This is Diana Fatal, a UNICEF worker in Syria. Thousands of children uh, faced on the 6th of February. Within a crisis where they uh, continue to face complex situations of displacement, of fear, and extreme cold weather. Uh, as you see, that uh, this uh, collective shelter that uh, used to be a school is now accommodating families that lost uh, uh, houses and loved ones. The United Nations says it needs $5.6 billion to help address the humanitarian crisis in Ukraine and to help the millions who fled Ukraine since Russia's invasion began almost a year ago. The UN estimates nearly 22 million Ukrainians depend on humanitarian assistance. This comes as NATO says Russia's eastern offensive has begun as Moscow aims to capture the strategic city of Bakhmut. The Ukrainian military ordered aid groups to leave the city earlier this week. Kyiv says, though, it has repelled Russian attacks on Luhansk. Meanwhile, the Pentagon seeking to restore a program to place U.S. special operations forces inside Ukraine. In other news on the war, a State Department-backed report has accused Russia of holding at least 6,000 Ukrainian children at facilities in occupied Crimea and Russia. State Department spokesperson Ned Price criticized the Russia program on Tuesday. Putin seeks to rob Ukraine of its future by taking its children. Russia's system of forced relocation, re-education, and adoption of Ukraine's children is a key element of the Kremlin's systematic efforts to deny and suppress Ukraine's identity, its history, and its culture. An Israeli soldier has been jailed for 10 days after he attacked prominent Palestinian activist Isamro as he was being interviewed by the New Yorker journalist, the Pulitzer Prize-winning author Lawrence Wright. The assault took place in Hebron, in the occupied West Bank. Amra spoke after the attack. I see that uh, there is a huge escalation from the Israeli soldiers and Israeli settlers toward Palestinian and Israeli human rights defenders. We are now really have uh, real uh, life threats. I feel my life is in danger. What happened that the soldier was wild and he didn't care about uh, the presence of a, a permanent uh, international journalist. They don't care. They don't care anymore even about, about the cameras, about uh, journalists. They feel that they are are backed up with their own government and backed up by their own uh, system. 
A Twitter video of the attack posted by Lawrence Wright has gone viral. Israel's far-right national security minister, Itamar Ben-Gavir, has expressed full support of the Israeli soldier attacking the Palestinian activist. This comes amidst escalating violence against Palestinians, with Israeli soldiers killing another two people, including a teenager, during a raid on the Farah refugee camp in northern occupied West Bank Tuesday. Israel's killed at least 50 Palestinians, including 11 children, since the start of the year. The Biden administration's withdrawn its nomination of prominent human rights attorney James Cavallaro to serve on the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights over the attorney's past comments describing Israel as a, quote, apartheid state. He's also criticized House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries' close ties to APAC, the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. Cavallaro is co-founder and executive director of the University Network for Human Rights. He's previously served on the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights from 2014 to 2017. Writing on Twitter, Cavallaro decried what he described as, quote, censorship of human rights advocates who denounce apartheid in Israel, unquote. Indian tax officials raided the BBC's offices in New Delhi and Mumbai for a second day today amidst an ongoing firestorm over a new BBC documentary criticizing Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Modi has banned the film, which in part covers his time as chief minister of Gujarat when he was accused of complicity in the deadly 2002 anti-Muslim riots, which killed an estimated 1,000 people. Students have been arrested for showing or attempting to show the film. Independence fighters in the Indonesian region of Papua have taken a pilot from New Zealand hostage after he landed his plane on a remote airstrip. Members of the West Papua National Liberation Army have vowed to hold the pilot, Philip Mertens, until the Indonesian government acknowledges Papuan independence. The Liberation Group released photos of the pilot along with a brief video statement from one of the group's commanders. We will not release without the freedom of Papua. We will keep detaining the pilot. So the whole country of Indonesia should open their eyes and acknowledge the freedom of Papua. In New Zealand, Cyclone Gabrielle has killed at least four people and left a trail of destruction as it moved away from the country while rescue and recovery efforts continue. Hundreds of people were rescued from rooftops due to rising waters. Prime Minister Chris Hipkins called Gabrielle the worst storm to hit New Zealand in the past century. New Zealand's climate change minister, James Shaw, delivered a scathing condemnation of governmental inaction on the climate crisis, which is contributing to more frequent and more devastating weather events. I don't think I've ever felt as sad or as angry about the lost decades that we spent bickering and arguing about whether climate change was real or not, whether it was caused by humans or not, whether it was bad or not, whether we should do something about it uh, or not, because it is clearly uh, here now. Uh, And if we do not act, it will get worse. In the UK, activists with the group Just Stop Oil delivered an ultimatum to Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, 
warning the British government must stop any new fossil fuel licenses after April 10th or deal with escalating disruption from the youth activists. The climate group is known for its high-profile acts of nonviolent direct action, disrupting public spaces such as art museums and roads to bring public awareness to the urgency of the climate crisis. This is activist Hannah Hunt. Instead of responding to the wishes of the British people, we're implementing policies that throw millions into destitution while enabling fossil fuel companies to make the largest profits in UK history. For the government to win, it will have to defeat the youth of this country, for we will put our bodies on the line. As that action was taking place in the UK, climate activists with Extinction Rebellion blocked private jet terminals at Luton Airport outside London holding a banner that read tax frequent flyers. Here in New York, dozens of Extinction Rebellion activists protested in front of Citigroup to demand it stop investing in fossil fuel expansion. City is the world's second largest financier of fossil fuels after J.P. Morgan Chase. Brazil's far-right former president Jair Bolsonaro told the Wall Street Journal he plans to return to Brazil in March to lead the opposition and face accusations he incited last month's attack by rabid supporters on government buildings in Brasilia. Bolsonaro, who never conceded defeat to President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva in last October's election, has been in Florida since December. U.S. authorities have arrested four more suspects in connection with the 2021 assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moïse. The four men were arrested in Florida and three were charged by the Justice Department with conspiracy to kidnap or kill outside the United States. One suspect was charged with smuggling ballistic vests. Three of the men are U.S. citizens and the fourth a permanent resident, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of Florida. This is U.S. Assistant Attorney General Matthew Olson. According to the complaint, three of the defendants arrested today operated businesses here in South Florida and hope to reap windfall benefits from security and construction contracts to be granted by those who they believed would assume power in Haiti following President Moise's demise. The Biden administration said Tuesday it has not uncovered any evidence three unidentified flying objects shot down over the weekend over North American territory are connected to a Chinese or other any other nation's surveillance program. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby said the objects could turn out to be related to commercial or research efforts. Bloomberg reports the Raytheon produced missiles used by the U.S. to shoot down the objects come at a cost of around $440,000 each. South Dakota's Republican Governor Kristi Noem signed into law a bill banning surgical and non-surgical gender-affirming treatment for young people starting July 1st. Medical providers who violate the law could face civil suits or lose their licenses. South Dakota is the sixth state to enact such a law. Tennessee could be next as Republican lawmakers advanced a similar bill Monday. The ACLU and others have vowed to challenge it. The ACLU's Chase Strangio wrote, quote, by shifting from safety to privacy, the rhetoric fueling anti-trans bills places the problem squarely on the body and existence of trans people. It was not something we did 
but just who we are and how we look that was the problem, he said. And California Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein announced she will not seek re-election in 2024. The move was widely expected by the 89-year-old Feinstein, who was first elected as U.S. Senator in 1992. She's the oldest sitting member of Congress. She's also the longest-serving woman senator and the first woman to chair the Senate Judiciary Committee. She was also the first woman mayor of San Francisco. Two California Congress members, Katie Porter and Adam Schiff, already announced they would run for the open seat, with Nancy Pelosi throwing her support behind Schiff. Congressmember Barbara Lee has reportedly shared with colleagues she will also launch a bid for the Senate seat. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Coming up, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Seymour Hirsch. He exposed the Milai massacre and Abu Ghraib. He'll talk about his latest article, How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline. Stay with us. Now, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman in New York, joined by Democracy Now! co host Juan Gonzalez in Chicago. Hi, Juan. Hi, Amy, and welcome to all of our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world. Well, we begin today's show with a legendary Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Seymour Hirsch. In 1970, he won the prize for his reporting for the Dispatch News Service on the My Lai Massacre, when the U.S. slaughtered more than 500 Vietnamese women, children, and old men on March 16, 1968. His reporting in the New York Times on CIA spying on anti-war activists during the Vietnam War era helped lead to the formation of the Church Committee, which led to major reforms of the intelligence community. In 2004, in the pages of the New Yorker magazine, Cy Hirsch exposed the Abu Ghraib prisoner abuse scandal in Iraq. Well, last week, he published another bombshell report, but this time on his new Substack page. The piece was headlined, How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline. It looks at one of the great mysteries of the past year. Who was behind the bombing of the Nord Stream pipelines, which were built to carry natural gas from Russia 
to Europe. The pipelines were severely damaged last September in a series of underwater explosions in the Baltic Sea. In his new piece, Cy Hirsch cites an unnamed source who says the sabotage was carried out by the U.S. Navy, which planted remotely triggered explosives during NATO exercises last September. Hirsch reports the Biden administration began planning the act of sabotage in December 2021, two months before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. On February 7th, 2022, President Biden held a joint news conference with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, and Biden brought up the future of the Nord Stream pipeline. Invades. Uh, that means tanks and troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine uh, again. Then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. But, but how will you how will you do that exactly since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will. Uh, I promise you we'll be able to do it. I'll promise you we'll be able to do that. Well, Cyhirsch reports U.S. Navy divers planted remotely triggered explosives on the pipelines in June while NATO was conducting military exercises in the area. He reports the divers were all members of the Navy and not members of America's Special Operations Command, whose covert operations must be reported to Congress. Then, on September 25, 2022, a Norwegian surveillance plane dropped a sonar buoy, which triggered the C-4 explosives that had been placed on the pipeline. Soon after the explosion, the United States strongly suggested Russia was behind blowing up its own pipeline. This is National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan responding to a question at a White House press briefing. Russia has done what it frequently does when it is responsible for something, which is make accusations that it was really someone else who did it. We've seen this repeatedly over time. But the president was also clear today that there is more work to do on the investigation before the United States government is prepared to make an attribution in this case. In the following months, there have been few public disclosures about the pipeline explosion. In December, the New York Times reported Russia had begun expensive repairs on the pipelines, a move which has raised questions about Western claims that Russia had bombed its own pipelines. Meanwhile, some Biden officials have publicly praised the fact that the pipeline was blown up. This is Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Newland, speaking during a recent Senate Foreign Relations Committee hearing. I am, and I think the administration is very gratified to know that Nord Stream 2 is now, as you like to say, a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea. We're joined now by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Seymour Hirsch to talk more about his new piece, How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline. Well, the White House has described Hirsch's reporting as, quote, complete fiction. Calls are growing for an independent probe into the explosion. 
Cy Hirsch, welcome back to Democracy Now! If you can flesh out um, what it is you found in your report um, and what first tipped you off, um, albeit there were a lot of public comments, including the Polish government right after the bombing, saying, thank you, America. Lay it out for us, Cy. Well, first of all, I think the reporting really can be described as a friend of mine did. What I did was really deconstruct the obvious. I mean, you have to hear what the president said. But, of course, there were, there were secret plans that I'm writing about, um, and they include um, um, uh, there was a committee set up. Jake Sullivan was directly involved. He was the national security advisor, still is. Uh, they set up a team to look at options about how to put pressure uh, on the um, uh, on the Russian government to back off. I, I, I'm getting a bounce in my ear, so this is comical. Can you hear me? We hear you perfectly. We don't hear the bounce side. Uh, okay, that's great. Uh, I hear it, though. Anyway, um, and so uh, um, uh, there was a, I'm just writing about inside baseball stuff. It's the normal things you do. They set up a committee to think of options. Uh, Russia was clearly going to go. Uh, the threat the president had yet to make. Um, uh, had not been made, and this is December before before um, New Year's Day of, uh, of the year before 2021. Um, and the question inside the committee, and it included uh, the usual CIA, NSA, uh, Treasury Department, State Department, you name it, and uh, they met in the secret secret office building in the uh, across the street from the White House in the executive office, office building. Uh, the option was, you want us to do something. Um, uh, a kinetic or somebody not something not kinetic. In other words, uh, not kinetic would be uh, more sanctions, or something kinetic would be you know taking up the pipeline, as had been thought about. And our answer came pretty quickly. I would guess uh, Victoria Newland's statement that you mentioned came actually before the president's. It came in late um, January of two thousand of last year, and that statement came I, at that time. I think the the committee involved. A lot of sophisticated people in, in the intelligence and operation community uh, concluded you could do it, and the White House was told it was possible. I think that led to the comments, which really, of course, made the people on the inside uh, go half crazy because it was supposed to be completely covert. But at that place, as I wrote, it was simply described as a classified operation. None of the rules of reporting to Congress involved are involved were involved. And so they began their planning. They went to Norway, which is a great ally of ours. Norway was one of the original signers of the uh, 1949 NATO uh, uh, treaty. Um, I think 19 nations were involved in And Norway is um, a great ally. Uh, we have spent, I write about this in some detail in, in the article, hundreds of millions, probably more closer or to, to being in a war, um, operating facilities. Norway has a 1,400-mile border along the Atlantic coast uh, that goes from uh, Oslo in, in Europe all the way up north uh, into, it runs into the uh, Russian uh, border in, uh, in uh, above the Arctic Circle. So we do, we put a lot of facilities up north there. Um, uh, synthetic aperture radar, which costs a fortune to monitor the uh, Russian nuclear sites around and also their new military activities around there up in the other side of the peninsula, the Kola Peninsula. So it's it's just they're just our guys, and they're also great at doing underwater stuff. And so that's what happened. We did a plan with them. We had to clear it with Sweden and Denmark. I'll leave it to them to decide whether that they were accepted the explanation we were doing exercises in the Baltic Sea for the hell of it. Um, but so far, I haven't seen much from either of them. Um, and you know, it, 
it's a tiresome game to me. Uh, and so what happens is when I do my story on Substack, uh, I wouldn't even think. Um, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say it after all those wonderful years I had at the New York Times. I wouldn't even think he'd a story like this to the New York Times. Um, they've decided that the Ukraine war is going to be won by Ukraine, and, and that's what its leaders get. And that's so be it. Um, uh, that's their call. Uh, so um, I just did my reporting, and, and um, uh, uh, the, the miners came from a very facility in a, in, a, in, a, in a little small town in Florida. Um, and the mining community in the Navy is, is very secret, and, and they just do their business. They don't talk. There was perfect people to get, and they practiced it. And as you said, there was a major exercise every summer by the uh, Sixth Fleet, which is uh, American Sixth Fleet out of, out of uh, Italy, which controls also has the operational rights in the Baltic Sea. Baltic Sea is a huge, huge place. The pipelines we're talking about, Nord Stream 1, which came alive in 2011, and Nord Stream 2 was actually done. But the Germans that are ready to pump pump has uh, 750 miles. And uh, they go straight from, from, um, uh, from Russia which is loaded with all kinds of gas. They're, they're in Siberia, they have enormous reserves, directly into Germany. And I can tell you, Nord Stream 1 was a godsend for the German economy and Western Europe. They're, they put, produced so much gas at such low prices that the German government was actually able to resell some of the gas the Russians were providing uh, at a profit without Russia objecting. And so the German economy is huge, it's booming. You know, the, the cars we know about, the, Germany has the largest chemical company in the world, BASF, and everybody's right now, it's, it's hell to pay. It's gotten very cold there. There's a lot of anger. And anyway, the purpose... By Herschel, the, uh, so, so I wanted to ask you, in terms of uh, the the lack of a... Uh, it always seemed to me when the, the claims were that uh, potentially Russia had uh, sabotaged its own pipeline, that it was ludicrous to think that uh, that would be so, that they would invest so much money in pipelines and then and then uh, uh, bomb them themselves. Uh, but uh, I'm interested in that. the lack of press attention uh, since uh, the sabotage occurred and also the lack of congressional attention. I think back to uh, the CIA's mining of the Managua harbors back in the early 1980s under the Reagan administration when the conservative Republican head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Barry Goldwater, objected and raised concerns that this was a covert operation where Congress was not notified. And then, of course, Congress cut off uh, a to the Contras as, as a result there was an international court of justice ruling against the United States. But in this case, this kind of sabotage the media seems not to be at all interested in finding out what happened here, as you have, or uh, in Congress. There's no one in Congress uh, that's been raising questions. Uh, you listen to the newscast that you, we just <laughs> that we just heard uh, as the show opened. One horrible event after another. I think the world's taken a very bizarre turn. I also, you know, it doesn't matter what I think. There's no question. There's been a polarization of the press uh, since Trump got in. We're now, we're now on two sides, you know, right, left, uh, Democrat, Republican, however you describe it. If you watch Fox News, you don't watch MSNBC, et cetera, et cetera. And if you read the New York Times, uh, you, 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 you're not going to get uh, what the right wing is. You know, the, the conservatives have been after the New York Times and Washington Post, and they're a quote, 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 liberal view. So we've got a polarization point. And at this time, we've got a president, a Democratic president, 
that has done some good stuff domestically, but I, I can tell you, I, I'm not understanding the total commitment to Ukraine. And I'm not understanding what I read, because obviously I have access to a lot of people who see things. I've been doing this, uh, Amy, and, and I've been doing this, what, writing about covert activities for oh my, my dad, oh, 300 years. Anyway, the bottom <laughs> line is, um, the stories I've been getting about the war, particularly beginning in fall, and that's what gets interesting, have been pretty dire. Uh, the Russians, um, I don't think, I think the end is just a question of time right now. It's a question of how many more people and Zelensky wants to kill of his own people. It's going to be over. What happened is the plan was to put the bomb, the, uh, the, and I can't answer your philosophical question about why Congress isn't doing anything anymore. Congress is pretty much polarized just as much. And, um, and that's also um, an enormous uh, continuing of uh, hatred of uh, all things in this country, um, which is uh, foreign policy disagreements are one thing, but it's very personal here, and that's not useful. But anyway, the other, the other, you know, is I don't think there's any chance that Putin wants to take over Europe. I don't think he wants to take. He wants to have Ukraine tamed, but he's not interested in doing anything more. But I, that's, I may be in a minority about that. Anyway, what happens is it was there was an exercise in June, and it was supposed to. Um, the, the bombs were put in there under the cover of, a, of a, a, a NATO exercise. There were a lot of different countries running around um, with divers um, and uh, blowing up things. So it was an exercise to go find and chase mines. I've never had one, been one before. It actually was whoever in the CIA or the other agencies that thought this up should get a bow because it was pretty ingenious. So in that exercise, the divers went down, did what they were trained to do. They're very good. C4 a couple hundred, whatever the weight is, um, bombs enough to blow up most cities, most of the buildings in, 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 uh, in Washington, and maybe some in New York anyway. Um, they did their job, but the president at the last minute uh, hesitated because he was afraid um, blowing it up right after the exercise would put the finger at us. And then he wanted permission to do it any time, and that caused an enormous trouble in the team. The team was, you know, are sophisticated in the intelligence services. I know we, we have cliches about them. We see the movies about them. Uh, and the bottom line is, um, they were. This made sense of them uh, blowing up a pipeline, <laughs> blowing up a pipeline. Owned by, it's actually owned by uh, a division of Gazprom. Owns 51 percent. That's all the Russian oligarchs. And 49 percent of Nord Stream One are owned by four business uh, groups in the Western Europe who, who farm out the oil. Anyway. Uh, they saw the threat as being valid, um, and if you wanted to do it during an exercise, well, okay. But in September, late September, they got the word, you know, they, they fixed it so he could. But then they thought it was, I don't know what they thought, but I don't think they thought in late September would blow up the main pipeline, Nord Stream 2, which is a new one uh, um, that had been uh, just built and it had been sanctioned. It had gas in it, that's why so much leaks, 750 miles of methane gas. Where he's sitting at it, but it had been it had been sanctioned by the German government, and so when he did that, this is what Biden did, and this is what I think the ultimate point of the story. Why so many people, even the intelligence community, are very troubled by it. What he did is he said, "A big war with Ukraine. It's not looking good. Uh, I want to be sure I get German and West West European support, and I know winter's coming, and if it's going to be bad." I don't want the Germans to say we got to check out because we're got, we're getting massacred. We'll be massacred with no 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 cheap fuel. 
and uh, our, our, the economy will go bonkers. We're going to check out and we're going to open up the gas line, which they could do. They took away that option. And what that has done, as you know, America has been talking about ever since the first pipeline, Nord Stream 1, came online in 2011. And it was, there were years before it was being built. This goes back to the Bush-Cheney um, uh, years. And, and as you know, um, uh, I did a lot of reporting for the New Yorker on those people, on that particular gaggle. <laughs> anyway, and um, uh, at that time, they began to talk about the threat, the, the, the threat of, of, of gas, the threat of oh, cheap energy for Europe. We've always seen as a threat to make Europe be more palatable or more willing to trade with Russia. We always wanted to isolate Russia. This has been a theme of the last decades. Uh, can I ask you also that uh, there are several people, obviously you've gotten criticism at times for many of your exposés, but there are some people who are saying that this particular expose does not have a whole lot of documentation that it essentially relies on one source of, uh, of uh, one internal source, anonymous source of yours. Uh, how do you respond to those, uh, those criticisms that this is a much less uh, documented in previous exposés of yours. I'll get to that, but let me finish my thought because it's a very important thought. The fear was uh, Europe would pass away, walk away from the war. And now what he's done, I have to lift it up a little bit. There you go there. Now what he's done is he's told Europe, uh, you're, second, you're second rate. And I think the consequences of this for the Europeans are going to be horrific. They really... This has cut into the notion that they can depend totally on America, even in a crisis. And I think it's going to undercut NATO, which I always found to be supremely useless. But certainly the European countries are going to be, uh, I know people that are paying five times as much now for electricity. Uh, people are paying three or four times more for gas. There's not enough of it. It's very expensive. It's colder now than it was in the fall. They had a life fall because of uh, climate change, if you want to believe it or not. And anyway, I think the consequences politically for us are enormous. I think the reason that Biden and his uh, people in the White House have denied the story, continue to deny it, and get accepted by um, some of the press, my own newspaper, the New York Times, I, I don't know why they're not doing more reporting on this instead of relying on a denial and walking away from the story, did it for the Washington Post. Uh, I think the consequences politically for us in the long run, looking at even potential some countries walking out of NATO, if that's what he thinks, our being cold is less important than him keeping a war going that he's not going to win. Um, uh, is it, it strikes me? As for the source question, I you know I've been doing this so long, uh, I'm not bothered by the fact that that the, the government attacks me and that my own newspaper, the New York Times, hasn't been a word about it. I find it sort of you know that's where we are. That's why people like me are in Substack. Self-help, I don't have to worry about censorship or second thoughts. Uh, but I don't talk about sources. I, I just, you know, I'm lucky. I've had for 20 or 30 or 40 years people inside who not only are faithful to what they're doing, but also are not afraid to be critical of it. And so um, uh, that's the kind of source that, uh, you know, reporters, you know, uh, dream about. And I've had people like that um, for forever, and I still do. And so um, uh, there's been a lot of criticism. One of the things is, one of the things I will get to your point about criticism, one of the criticisms is the open source people, you know, OSINT, it's a very big part of the world now. There are people that monitor air traffic and boat traffic and all that, and there are some two or three different groups that have 
have uh, produced a, a statement saying that none of the things they, they see tracks with my story. And I would say about that, if, if you're in the, in the intelligence community and you're running Kovalops for years and you're in Norway, we're working very closely with the Norwegians on this, who, by the way, have increased their production of oil to Europe uh, by double the profit. It was, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's gone up at least double, maybe even more than that, two and a half times as much now without the, alpha, without the pipeline. But certainly, the first thing you look at is how to take care of open source people, make them think what happened isn't happening. I mean, that's that's so obvious to me, but not for them. Um, and so, um, Sai, I wanted oh. to go to what Ned Price said at the State Department. Sam Husseini of the Institute for Public Accuracy questioned the State Department spokesperson about your reporting last week. I'm sure you're aware of the new report from Seymour Hersh, how America took out the Nord Stream pipeline and the White House's denial of any involvement. Given the longstanding mm-hmm. opposition to the pipeline, Secretary Blinken's calling its demise a tremendous opportunity. And Secretary Senator Secretary State Newlands saying that the U.S. officials were pleased with the destruction of the pipeline, especially the Sweden's secret investigation. Do you think the U.S. government's uh, denial of involvement is credible? I absolutely do, and I repeat it here. Um, and you know, let me follow up on that, if I might. Um, have you or anybody else at the State Department? Um, any communication with German, Norwegian ambassadors or other allies or officials on this matter? On the matter of Nord Stream 2? On the matter of the latest allegations, um, which give a you know, fairly, I mean, it's it not it is source, it is, it, <laughs> barely it, is uh, it would, it would not be, uh, it, it would it would not be typical for us to engage allies and partners on something that is utter and complete nonsense and that should be rejected out of hand uh, by anyone who is looking at it through uh, <laughs> through an objective lens. Yes, go ahead. One, one more aspect on this. One of the allegations that Hurt makes is that it was taken off the CIA in order to prevent involvement uh, oversight uh, as a covert operation. Did you read the piece? I'm familiar with it. Uh, one of his allegations is that it was taken off the field. Well, we're, rather, rather than let this, this propaganda game be aired in, in the briefing room, Eagle, but let, let, Eagle, let, let, let me just say it is a fundamental misunderstanding of oversight in our U.S. Congress. Beyond getting his facts entirely wrong, as he has before in very uh, high-profile ways, uh, it is a fundamental misunderstanding to suggest that our intelligence community is not subject to oversight. Anyone who writes that, anything who writes anything like that, no, no, uh, no, 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 uh, a CIA, but under military in order to provide. Our military is also subject to rigorous oversight. That, that, that's my question. That's yes. My, the answer is yes. So that's Ned Price being questioned by Sam Husseini in the State Department press briefing room. Um, Sonny Hirsch, I'm wondering if you can respond. You wrote an interesting follow-up today on Substack uh, called Crap on the Wall. Now, it's not <laughs> your words, actually. Uh, you're actually quoting... Um, the White House, uh, when they, uh, the most t- bizarre effort came from Defense Department of Donald Rumsfeld, you write, two decades ago, Secretary Rumsfeld, Vice President Richard Cheney discarded the rule of law and common decency in their efforts to stomp out Muslim terrorism. I was writing for the New Yorker, you're talking about the Abu Ghraib scandal. The White House responded to an article I published about the CIA's secret operations, oh no, no, inside Iran, by calling it another example of Hirsch throwing crap, that was the word used 
used by an assistant secretary of defense on a wall to see what sticks. Uh, under Barack Obama, you say a senior national security advisor responded, Seymour Hersh is a known fabricator, adding the magazine, the New Yorker could publish that response to any future Hersh story without further checking. Your response to all of this? Well, uh, well my long-gone mother, who came here as an immigrant, and loved America more than anybody, particularly about Ned Price herself. She should, she would, she would have said he should have washed out his mouth with soap, <laughs> which is what she actually did to me a few times. So anyway, that's what. What can I say? It's you know, uh, sometimes um, uh, I won't say truth. That's too. But sometimes different versions of a story um, uh, cause problems. This the the reason I went into that sort of soliloquy about what's going to happen possibly in NATO and Europe about Biden's act of saying to the Western Europe and Germany, we rather, we rather, we rather keep our war going, and, and you can stay cold, is I think it could cause some countries to say, we may be out of here, you know, what, what do we need NATO for, <laughs> and American support, when in a crisis, they take away our, our ability to keep our people warm, it also could lead, I think the Green Party has done very well in Germany, it's, it, the chancellor is up from the Green Party, I think it's going to lead to widespread conservative movement politically. And the one thing we did after World War II that was fantastic was we rebuilt Europe into a modern democratic plurality, a society, plural society. I think it could lead to um, not, it won't go as far as it did in Italy, we could lead to some conservative victories and subsequent legislations. Because Europe's always had no natural resources, they've always had to rely on others. And um, the others included us, and also Russian gas. And if we want to stop that off, we do it at a political cost. And I think the point I'm making is I'm still going to do more reporting on this um, because I, there's still things I, I, I need to write about later. Um, I think that this has probably been, in the view of some of the people who did it, one of the dumbest things American government has done in years, and we've had four years of Trump, you know, and in the long run, I just don't understand why more newspapers, good newspapers like the Times, just don't, I still, I still read the New York Times. I, I don't believe everything they say about Ukraine, but it's still a big, wonderful report is there. My attitude towards editors is, if we got rid of 90% of the editors in the world, we'd be much better off. But that's always been, since I was a kid reporter, I thought that. So, you know, um, I don't care what they say. I mean, if I did, I would, I would weep, because some of the stuff is so dumb. It's just so dumb. And, and um, the Biden administration um, um, uh, putting uh, Ned Price, uh, he's paid to work. I don't fault him. He, he, he actually knows intelligence. He had a career in intelligence. And he, uh, from all I know, he's a perfectly decent. I know people that know him personally. He's a fine guy. He's just been told what to say. And he said, and so, sorry, you got uh, to yeah. go back to this face they told me Blinken. After the bombing. In, in September, he made a speech in which he, it was a press conference here, in which he made a gratuitous statement. He said, one good thing is that no more will, will Russia be able to weaponize gas. And the notion of Russia weaponizing gas with Western Europe to get thing and to diminish our power or our authority or our, our economic ability, uh, control over Western Europe has been a theme of this country for, tw for two decades. It's not a new theme. Oil, oil scares the hell. Russian oil and gas always scared the hell out of, out of, out of Washington. Uh, now you're and, 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 yeah, and so I, the, the, lastly, the uh, 
the Norwegian government has uh, has claimed that one of the ships that you mentioned in your article that was uh, 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 involved in the planning of this or preparation of this was uh, 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 was not uh, present in, uh, at the time of these uh, exercises. What do you make of Norway's uh, denial? You know, let me tell you something about Nicaragua. You don't know. One of the things that happened in Nicaragua, the CIA guys operating there would thrill and get excited on their speeches there. And, you know, even even in the worst of times, in the Southern, in the southern Eastern movement, they would go in their little motorboats off the beaches and shoot flechettes into the beaches and have a contest to see, you know, I, I, I shouldn't say the latter. They would just shoot and know they were casualties. They would just do that and have a lot of fun talking about it and bragging about it. I mean, that's the kind of stuff you get into when you have a COVID operation. And so, uh, 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 the Norwegian government is, that's just completely, it's, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I, I dropped something here. The government, not only did that ship have a, uh, it was in the operation, it also had a uh, compression chamber that had been flown in by the CIA. Now I'm getting the detail and all about it, but the CIA flew in a compression chamber that's being put on the ship because it, it's just a submarine hunter. And the, the divers at 260 feet, that's where they, that's the level. The Norwegians found the lowest level, the, the, the shallowest part of the Baltic Sea, uh, which is off an island called, well, it's between Sweden and, and uh, Denmark. And uh, they practiced there, they had to. And, and for the divers, it was 260 feet deep where the, where the uh, landmines were. And the pipelines are steel covered, but they're also covered by concrete shields. So it's a serious job to blow them up. And at 260, without a compression chamber, and they have to go up every 90 feet. They're, 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 they're breathing, uh, it's amazing to me, they're breathing oxygen, nitrogen, and helium. Um, it, that's pretty amazing to me. Uh, and they have to go up, uh, to, now they could just pop up to the surface. So it, it was called the Alta. The, the ship was there. I mean, that's just such a stupid lie. But the, 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 the submarine, it's a, it's a submarine hunter. They didn't have to stay there. They, they could just go and the guys could jump off. And there was no long recovery. At a certain time, they would come up and the time was fixed. You don't, you don't drop uh, explosives like that and then let them go off in five minutes. You give a lot of time. You have a timer on it so that the, 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 pilot, the divers could get up to the top. And they come up and they make a pickup. It can happen much more quickly than you think because there is, it's not in the, it's not in the description of the ship, but on that ship, there was a decompression chamber. It had been flown and planted there. Uh, and by the CIA. This was actually a great operation, if you want to know it, from the point of view of a, of a classic operation, uh, because they got away with it. And at that point, um, um, uh, um, the purpose was always, says, let me go back to this, the purpose of doing it is to make the site credible. But then you have the president and the undersecretaries say, within a, a week or two of getting a word that's credible, we can do it. So I'm blabbing about it. Of course, that was disillusioning. <laughs> To the people involved, but so what? I can't talk about it. You know, you can you can say it's not true. I invented it, but that's just look. He did it. And he's going to hang up to it. I watch my mail. I watch my Gmail, and I'm seeing every day more and more, more than more than I want. I'm seeing more messages from around the world, different countries streaming in. Um, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing something that was. Um, uh, and by the way, on Substack, it, it was. I, I didn't know about stuff that because it's an amazing platform. They have more than a million hits on the thing within a day. Well, I mean, people, what were the messages I got from people say, thank God we missed the kind of reporting 
than you and others have done. We don't see it anymore. Uh, I'm not talking about your show, I, I guarantee you, not that. Well, Seymour Hirsch, we want to thank you so much for being with us. The Pulitzer Prize winning journalist will link to your new piece on your Substack: how America took out the Nord Stream pipeline. Coming up in 30 seconds, we go to Michigan, where vigils were held Tuesday night to remember the three slain Michigan State students killed in yet another mass shooting. Stay with us. like that is 
is surreal. It says, this is not how we should be raising our children. This is not how we protect our children. Um, there's so much that we can do. There's so many great gun control legislation that we need to put into place. Um, despite this tragedy, um, there are glimmers of hope. Michigan is now ungerrymandered. Um, we have the Democrats have control of the state legislature for the first time in 40 years. And I think we will see um, gun control legislation. It is not enough, but it is an important start. Uh, Dr. Mona, could you talk about why gun violence is now such a uh, public health crisis, especially, uh, with, especially with children? Uh, and yeah. what steps can be taken to prevent this kind of violence? Yeah, so the number one killer of children is guns. The no it exceeds motor vehicle accidents, it exceeds cancer, it exceeds anything I treat in my clinic. The number one killer of children is guns. We have more guns than we have people in this country. Um, and it is impacting in children, our children in so many ways. And that, any mass shooting um, triggers trauma for our children. I have two little kids, and when they have drills, they come home on edge. Um, you know, it, it is a it is a community level trauma, but the, the, it, we have to treat it like a public health crisis that it is, and we have to put into place the evidence based tools to prevent these crises. We know what we can do. We can limit um, the, the use of them, the purchase of them. There's you know background checks and red flag laws, and and there's things that we do every day as clinicians to, in terms of injury prevention, that can also limit access. But we cannot do this alone. We need policies. We need child safety policies. We need, um, you know, assault weapon bans. We need more policy tools to protect children to address this epidemic of gun violence. Once again, the number one killer of children. I want to bring Robert Shentrup into this conversation. Um, his sister Carmen killed in Parkland at the high school five years ago on Valentine's Day yesterday. You're now with the Brady Youth Initiative team enough. And each time the mass shooting happens, which is so frequent, Robert, I think about what all of you go through, those who live through those who've been injured in the past massacres, uh, like your sister who was killed. If you can respond to what took place this week and what you're doing right now, how the logjam will be broken around gun control. I mean, there are people, for example, who are mentally ill all over the world, and it's not just mentally ill people. We're talking about a whole group of people um, who are angry, they are overwhelmingly uh, almost all men, but they don't have automatic weapons or pistols. And instead of punching someone, they can kill 17 people in one fell swoop. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. And as you mentioned, I mean, <clears throat> the events of this week are really just emblematic of the epidemic of gun violence that we just heard about. Um, you know, from my personal experience, growing up in Parkland, going to Marjorie Summer Douglas High School, um, having my two sisters go there, um, and then having my sister Carmen killed in a Parkland shooting, um, my story is an all-too-familiar American tragedy. And we've seen in the five years since Parkland, um, which we commemorated the last evening here in the district, uh, we really wanted to highlight, you know, the types of gun violence that happen every single day. Um, over 110 people are shot uh, and killed every day here in America. And that number is only going up in recent memory. 
And so, you know, the incidents like Parkland, like the tragedy that happened at Michigan State a couple of days ago, like the tragedy that happened at Northern Illinois University over 15 years ago, February 14th. Um, these are things that continue to happen, and young people bear the brunt uh, this issue. Uh, as we just heard from the doctor earlier, this young people, the leading cause of death now for the first time is gun violence. It is the most likely way that we are to die. And this is something that is an issue that we have done nothing about for decades up until the Bipartisan Saber Communities Act this year at the federal level, and is an issue that just keeps compounding and getting worse for that reason. Um, and I, I really want to highlight the story of a survivor from the Michigan State University shooting who is also a survivor of Sandy. Young people now experience gun violence multiple times throughout our lives. And this is something that is pervasive and we cannot, and it feels like we cannot escape. And yet it's also something that is so common. It, these stories are only going to continue to happen unless we do something. Uh, so to the point of your question about how do we break this log jam, I mean, we just saw this summer, for the first time in nearly 30 years, federal legislation passed to reduce gun violence. And that's really important. I mean, up until pretty much when it happened, uh, a lot of the conversation was, oh, this is horrible, what are we going to do? Um, and the consensus was that change at the federal level was something that should happen probably wasn't going to. And then we saw within a couple of weeks that change. And the reason that it changed was that there was public pressure, there were people being outspoken, and there was a push to hold politicians accountable because we know this issue of gun violence is preventable. We see other countries, all of our other pure nations, do not have this problem. It is only the U.S. in which we have very easy access to firearms and an oversaturation of them in our communities where we really see this issue persist. Robert Chantrick, we have five seconds. Do you think the answer is an assault weapons ban? We do. And at Brady United, we support an assault weapons ban, universal background checks, and a slate of comprehensive solutions, all part of our Brady blueprint to prevent gun violence that you can read at BradyUnited.org. We thank you so much for being with us, Robert Shentrup of Brady Youth Initiative, Team Enough, and Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha. I'm Amy Goodman. Did you know that one of the best ways you can... From New York, this is Democracy Now! Recent innovation in train-breaking technology could prevent or reduce the scope of disasters like these. Unfortunately, the railroad industry has aggressively lobbied against mandates that they invest in the new brakes. This means railroads that are less safe for workers, communities, and the environment. The Biden administration is facing growing criticism after a massive trail derailment and train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, blanketed the town with a toxic brew of spilled chemicals and gases, fouling the air, polluting waterways, killing thousands of fish. We'll look at how corporate greed is at the center of the bomb train catastrophe. Then we speak to Jim Cavallaro, the prominent human rights attorney. Last week, the Biden administration nominated him for a top human rights post and withdrew the nomination in part due to his criticism of Israel's human rights record. On Monday, 
an outlet published tweets of mine, older tweets, where I recognize the situation in Israel and Palestine as constituting the crime of apartheid, and which I question the role of payback funding in U.S. politics. On Tuesday, I was informed that my candidacy had been withdrawn because of my views on Israel and Palestine. And we'll speak to the Brazilian indigenous leader, Davi Kopanawa Yanamami, about why he supports prosecuting former President Jair Bolsonaro for committing genocide against the Yanomami people in the Amazon. The Minister of Justice wants to prosecute him because of the way in which my Yanomami people have been mistreated and they have allowed disease to come in, they've allowed us to die, they've allowed 577 of our children to die. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Ukraine's president has ruled out trading territory for peace as part of any negotiated settlement with Russian leader Vladimir Putin. President Volodymyr Zelensky made the remarks in an interview with the BBC. Any territorial compromise would make us weaker as a state. It's not about compromise itself. Why would we be afraid of that? We have millions of compromises in life every day. The question is, with whom? With Putin? No, because there is no trust. Ukraine's military says it shot down 16 of 36 Russian missiles fired at targets across Ukraine Thursday, including its largest oil oil refinery, which reportedly sustained damage. Meanwhile, Russia's intensified ground attacks along the front in southern and eastern Ukraine in a spring offensive launched just ahead of the first anniversary of Russia's invasion. The United Nations is appealing to donors for $1 billion to scale up relief operations in Turkey, where the death toll from this month's massive earthquakes has topped 38,000. Nearly 6,000 others have been confirmed dead in Syria, where the U.N. is appealing for an additional $400 million for humanitarian assistance. Meanwhile, there's growing alarm over plans by the World Food Program to slash aid to hundreds of thousands of Rohingya refugees who fled ethnic cleansing and genocide in Burma. The UN agency says they'll be forced to cut rations to Rohingya living in camps in Bangladesh due to a severe funding shortfall. In a statement, the humanitarian group Save the Children said Rohingya children and their families are at breaking point and need no more support, not less. President Biden's made his first formal comments about the U.S. military military's downing of four objects flying over North America earlier this month. Biden said the first shot down was a Chinese surveillance balloon that violated U.S. sovereignty, something he called unacceptable, but that the other three were not believed related to surveillance by a foreign power. Biden said Thursday he planned to speak with President, the Chinese President Xi Jinping, about the surveillance balloon. This episode underscores the importance of maintaining open lines of communication between our diplomats and our military professionals. A possible source for one of the yet-to-be-identified objects is the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. The hobbyist club believes one of its $12 inflatable balloons may have been shot down by a Lockheed Martin F-22 firing a $400,000 Sidewinder missile over Canada's Yukon Territory on February 11th. 
Israel's Knesset has passed a law allowing the government to revoke the citizenship or residency of Palestinians determined to have committed what Israel calls acts of terror. The new law exclusively targets Palestinians in Israel and occupied East Jerusalem, allowing them to be deported to the occupied West Bank and Gaza. Legal experts say such deportations would constitute an act of forcible transfer, which is a war crime. The United Nations Security Council is expected to vote next week on a Palestinian-backed resolution demanding an immediate halt to all Israeli settlement activities and condemning the annexation of illegal settlements and outposts. Diplomats told reporters the U.S. is seeking to replace the resolution with a weaker statement. In Washington, State Department spokesperson Vinod Patel declined to say if the U.S. would veto the resolution. The introduction of this resolution uh, is unhelpful in supporting the conditions necessary to advance negotiations for a two-state solution. In Georgia, the special grand jury investigating attempts by President Trump and his allies to overturn the 2020 election determined at least one witness committed perjury during their testimony. That revelation came as part of a small five-page excerpt of the grand jury report made public Thursday, though it's not clear who the panel believes should be charged with crimes other than perjury or which Georgia laws may have been violated. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis said last month, decisions about whom to prosecute are Imminent. The White House dismissed Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley's call for mental competency tests for politicians over the age of 75. Haley made the remark in Charleston, South Carolina, Wednesday during her first campaign rally since announcing her 2024 presidential bid. It's seen as an attack on both 80-year-old Biden and her primary challenger, 76-year-old Donald Trump. Nikki Haley also vowed to crack down on immigration and relegate, quote, communist China to the ash heap of history, unquote. Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman is seeking inpatient treatment for clinical depression at Walter Reed Hospital, his office announced. Senate Democrats rallied around their colleague with Majority Leader Chuck Schumer tweeting, happy to hear Senator Fetterman is getting the help he needs and deserves. Millions of Americans like John struggle with depression each day, unquote. The freshman senator from Pennsylvania has suffered a number of health challenges recently. Last week, he was briefly hospitalized after feeling lightheaded during a Senate retreat. He was elected as U.S. Senator in November, six months after suffering a life-threatening stroke. In Britain, Labour Party leader Keir Starmer has barred former Labour Party leader Jeremy Corbyn from running for re-election as a Labour candidate. Corbyn slammed the move as an attack on democracy. Corbyn has been a member of parliament since 1983 and currently serves as an independent. To see our interview with MP Jeremy Corbyn and his comments on Keir Starmer, go to democracynow.org. Nicola Sturgeon has announced she's stepping down as First Minister of Scotland. Sturgeon's the first woman to hold the post as well as the first woman to lead the Scottish National Party. Essentially, I've been trying to answer two questions. Is carrying on right for me? And more importantly, is me carrying on right for the country, for my party, and for the independence cause I have devoted my life to?
Sturgeon will stay in her role until a successor is appointed. Her resignation comes amid stark divisions over Scottish independence. In November, the British Supreme Court ruled Scotland cannot hold another independence referendum without the green light from the British government. The UK government also recently vetoed a Scottish bill that would make it easier for people to change their legal gender. Sturgeon condemned the veto as a full frontal attack on the Scottish Parliament. Over 200 New York Times contributors have published an open letter criticizing the Times' recent coverage of stories involving transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people, in particular concerning medical issues. The letter says Republican lawmakers have cited the Times' coverage to justify bans on gender-affirming care for youth. In response, the top editor of the New York Times Thursday defended the paper's coverage of trans issues, warning journalists that such public criticism will, quote, not be tolerated. In Michigan, the train operated by Norfolk Southern derailed on Thursday in Van Buren Township, 30 miles west of Detroit, causing more than two dozen rail cars to pile up and triggering fears of a toxic release. Local authorities reported one rail car contained liquid chlorine, a highly corrosive chemical. Norfolk Southern said no hazardous materials spilled. The crash came as Environmental Protection Agency in Administrator Michael Regan visited East Palestine, Ohio, to meet with residents affected by this month's crash of a Norfolk Southern train carrying vinyl chloride and other toxic and carcinogenic chemicals, which were released in a so-called controlled burn that sent a toxic mushroom cloud high into the air. We'll get the latest on that story after headlines. And Tesla has recalled more than 360,000 electric vehicles over the risks posed by their self-driving software. The recall follows several high-profile accidents, including an eight-car pileup on the San Francisco Bay Bridge last November, triggered when a self-driving Tesla Model S abruptly changed lanes and rapidly applied its brakes. Nine people were injured, including a two-year-old child. On Thursday, Democratic Senator Ed Markey tweeted, Tesla's recall is long overdue, adding, quote, we've been sounding the alarm on the critical flaws in Tesla's software and its misleading advertising for years. The National Highway Transportation Safety Administration must continue to protect the public against these safety risks, and Tesla must stop overstating the capabilities of its vehicles, unquote. Meanwhile, Tesla workers at a factory in Buffalo, New York, have filed a complaint with the National Labor Relations Board saying Tesla managers fired more than 30 people this week after they announced their intention to form what would be the company's first U.S.-based labor union. And here in New York, the state Senate has rejected Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul's nominee to become the state's top judge. Hector LaSalle came under fire from unions as well as civil rights, immigrant rights, and reproductive rights groups. He deposed that had a Oppose LaSalle's nomination, citing what they described as his anti-labor and anti-abortion rulings. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We begin today's show looking at the failures that led to the massive train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, that blanketed the town with a toxic brew of spilled chemicals and gases, fouling the air, polluting waterways, killing thousands of fish and frogs. Residents are suffering ailments ranging from respiratory distress, sore throats, burning eyes and rashes, all with unknown long-term consequences. Many say they don't trust officials who are telling them it's safe to return home. 
We have to have proper testing. We cannot get it a two and a two, three, and then your papers say one. You're not satisfied with the testing that's been done at your house? No, and you're going to smell it as soon as you go into my house. I don't feel safe taking my kids in, in the town. Especially to the house. Like my neighbor right across the street from me, literally, got diagnosed yesterday with chemical pneumonia. What What does the government do? Whose responsibility is it? Because I, I'm not quite sure that the... Um, you know, Norfolk Southern is really doing much. Residents of East Palestine met Thursday with the head of the Environmental Protection Agency, Michael Regan, as he visited impacted areas and gave an update on air and water testing. Boots on the ground, leading robust air quality testing, including the advanced technological aspect plane and a mobile analytical laboratory in and around East Palestine. Since the fire went out, EPA air monitoring has not detected any levels of health concern in the community that are attributed to the, to the train derailment. As it relates to water, EPA is supporting Ohio and the local government in determining what impacts the spill has had on surface and groundwater and ensuring that the derailment has not had an effect on drinking water supplies. The two-mile-long freight train that derailed in East Palestine was operated by the railroad giant Norfolk Southern. It's been called a bomb train since its 141 cars included tankers that can hold up to 32,000 gallons each of highly flammable toxic chemicals. In addition to the spill, an out-of-control fire raged for days, followed by a so-called controlled burn of the train's most toxic cargo, releasing a huge mushroom cloud of fire and smoke. This catastrophe could have been prevented had it not been for lax regulation and the massive lobbying power of corporations like Norfolk Southern. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg claimed in a tweet, we're constrained by law on some areas of rail regulation, like the breaking rule withdrawn by the Trump administration in 2018 because of a law passed by Congress in 2015. Meanwhile, critics say Buttigieg could use his existing rulemaking authority to expand the definition of a high-hazard flammable train to cover trains like the one in Ohio. This comes as the Biden administration is siding with Norfolk Southern in a case against a former rail worker now pending before the Supreme Court that could allow corporations to restrict where people, including the victims of the disaster in East Palestine, can file lawsuits against them. More than 12,000 trains carry hazardous materials across the United States each day, and on Thursday, another Norfolk Southern train carrying hazardous materials derailed outside of Detroit. For more, we're joined by Matthew Cunningham Cook, researcher and writer for The Lever, who's part of a team following all of this very closely. Matthew, welcome back to Democracy Now! I mean, there is so much to ask you about right now. First of all, I don't know if people realize this train in East Palestine that was carrying chemicals like vinyl chloride that when um, exploded um, become phosgene, that World War I uh, chemical weapon. This train was two miles long. Why don't you start there? 
Yeah, trains have been getting longer and longer, uh, and it's occurring at the same time that the railroad workforce is getting smaller and smaller. And these were exactly the concerns that the rail unions raised last year with the Biden administration, with railroads, with the public, surrounding their contract negotiations and the need for paid sick leave. So that's the that's the broader context, uh, and then. There's the fact that the industry was successful in reducing the scope of this uh, high-hazard, flammable train uh, definition, uh, and they've been successful at resisting the widespread implementation of revolutionary new braking technology uh, called electronically controlled pneumatic braking, over 15 years old. The railroads initially championed these new brakes. Uh, but once they figured out the cost, um, even though it was only $3 billion, so that's uh, less than uh, 3% of the amount that the railroads have spent on stock buybacks in the last decade, um, uh, they lobbied hard against any rules that would mandate uh, their implementation. And that's a huge problem because Right now, railroads use 1868 uh, technology, technology from 1868 uh, to break trains, and it's basically uh, a ricochet effect. So the, the engine breaks, and then the first car breaks, and then the second car breaks, and then the third car breaks, uh, which means that the, the train doesn't all stop at the same time. What that does is when when heavier train cars uh, bump into lighter train cars, which is very common because they're not properly ordering the train cars because of the massive cutbacks in the railroad workforce, that creates what's called in-train forces, which destabilize and derail trains. And Railroad Workers United, this cross-union uh, advocacy group of railroad workers, has said that that almost certainly played a significant role in the derailment here on top of the issues with, with the axle that was on fire. Um, so, yeah, you know, and then Norfolk Southern in particular really seems like it has one of the worst safety records uh, on the rails. Uh, there's been repeated incidents in Ohio of Norfolk Southern derailments. They had two derailments last year, but they still haven't picked up the costs for even though they uh, explicitly pledged that they would. Um, and, you know, and unfortunately, you know, you really have a, a transportation secretary that appears resistant to taking action. So, uh, so let's talk about what uh, Buttigieg could do. Let's talk about what President yes. Biden could do, because it's a very interesting history where um, you have these safety features that under the Obama administration, they were going into effect. Well, many yes. years later, actually, in 2023. Um, yes. And explain what happened under Trump, the role of South Dakota Republican Senator John Thune, and then in reversing all of this, the campaign contributions of Norfolk Southern, six what million dollars to Republican campaigns, and then what Biden and Buttigieg could do. Yeah, so yes, the Obama administration proposed rules that would expand the use of this ECP breaking technology. Uh, they were not expansive enough to cover the type of train uh, that derailed in Ohio, um, 
but they would have gone significantly further towards implementing it across the industry. So right now, only Amtrak, most Amtrak trains use this braking technology, and then trains that transport nuclear waste are required to use uh, this technology as well. Uh, the railroad industry funneled, yes, uh, over $6 million uh, into uh, Senate Republicans' uh, campaigns in 2016. They, uh, uh, John Thune was one of the top, who was at the time the chairman of the, the Senate Commerce Science and Transportation Committee, uh, was one of the highest recipients of railroad industry cash. He opposed this rulemaking, the Trump administration under Elaine Chow, uh, who was the Secretary of Transportation, who's the wife of uh, Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, uh, rolled back uh, the Obama administration's very modest rules to expand this breaking technology. And then once Biden and Buttigieg, uh, uh, even though uh, rail unions, uh, public safety advocates, environmental groups have advocated the expansion of uh, rail safety rules, uh, they have yet to take uh, substantive action uh, so far. So it's it's unfortunate, um, and it, it's unclear why exactly that's the case. And then Michael Regan, the EPA chief, uh, going yesterday, two weeks after this catastrophe took place, to get an earful from residents. Now, we should say that was a day after the town hall meeting where Norfolk Southern refused to show up, saying they were afraid their uh, own um, representatives would be in danger, to which many residents said, you're concerned about them being in danger? What about us? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a real kind of question as to whether or not the EPA is, um, to whether or not the EPA is, uh, is really at monitoring this situation on the ground uh, in a in a complete way. Um, that's a that's a real question. At this point, we know that the EPA really uh, fell down on the job uh, in a in a really significant way uh, after 9/11. We know that the EPA uh, didn't do the best that they could to protect residents in Flint. So yeah, if I was a resident of East Palestine, I would really have some real questions as to how effectively the EPA was protecting me at this point. Now, talk about what uh, Norfolk Southern faces. If years ago, a crash in North Carolina, I believe something like nine people died. Many were injured, ultimately paid something like, what, $4 million? Uh, they were fined. Um, Talk about what they face and um, the lawsuits that are beginning right now and what they could be forced to. What did they promise, a million dollars to the town right now? Yeah, right now they've said they've already distributed over a million dollars um, to uh, the town. Um, yeah, they're facing class action lawsuits. Um, but unfortunately, you know, what we know is that is that Department of Transportation fines are, and Federal Railroad Administration fines are very limited. Uh, and so the question of kind of real accountability is an open one, you know? And I think that what Alan Shaw, the CEO of Norfolk Southern, I think he really sees uh, his core constituency uh, as not the public, but his shareholders. And unfortunately, you know, the way that 
our society works is that it's just about the next quarterly earnings report, how much money you can extract out of the infrastructure you already own so that you can buy back more of your stock, so that you can pay more dividends, so that you can pay higher executive compensation, uh, and that, you know, fines and class action lawsuits, they're ultimately a drop in the bucket uh, compared to uh, the extraordinary profits that these railroads uh, collect from their you know, workforce that's overworked and, uh, and in large part burnt out and infrastructure that is uh, falling apart uh, and is not being properly maintained, even though it's owned directly by the railroads. And talk about the recent ruling by Congress, supported by President Biden, that he signed off on to stop a rail strike. How does that play in here? Yeah, I mean, what we know is that um, when you have uh, a, a lack of redundancy in workforces, when you have workers who are away from home uh, for weeks at a time, uh, when you have uh, difficulty in filling thousands of vacant positions because the jobs just aren't good enough, you know, 30 years ago, these were great jobs. Uh, that's just not the case today, uh, working harder and harder than ever before in conditions that are terrible. You know, there's tons of engines that don't have any heat at all. And when you have that situation, you're going to have safety issues. And then even beyond that, Freight Waves uh, trade publication reported yesterday that the five um, senior uh, employees who were charged with preventing derailments uh, have all left, all of those positions have left in the last, uh, have been eliminated effectively in the last decade at Norfolk Southern. So yeah, you know, this is, you know, what we know is that the rail unions, the rail workers have been championing common sense safety improvements. The rail unions have been very active advocating for this breaking technology. The contract proposals that the rail unions put forth around paid sick leave, around pay, around benefits, would help the railroads recruit and retain qualified employees uh, while they're spending uh, billions and billions of dollars on, on stock buybacks, while they're paying their executives 10, 15, 20 million dollars a year. Uh, and unfortunately, there's really, uh, you know, it really just seems like the Biden administration just tried to split the difference. It's like, OK, well, the um, the railroads are proposing this and the unions are proposing this. So we'll just kind of split the baby in half when really, you know, what the rail unions were proposing was about kind of acknowledging decades and decades of deregulation, decades and decades of assaults on workers. The Trump administration's organized, coordinated assault on any effective regulation of railroads and the fact that workers just needed to MacGyver any response to that aggressive, dangerous, deregulatory agenda. Uh, and uh, and unfortunately, yeah, you know, that's that's the final things that the Biden administration really didn't seem to take what these over 100,000 rail workers were saying. Uh, about the adequacy of this proposed uh, contract really seriously. Matthew, and instead, um, yeah. Let me ask you about Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro, who sent a letter to Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw criticizing the so-called controlled explosion, right? You have the explosion, it releases chemicals, um, and then you have that control, so-called controlled burn. The letter says, 
prioritizing an accelerated and arbitrary timeline to reopen the rail line injected unnecessary risk and created confusion. Um, You also have, of course, the governor of Ohio, the state where this catastrophe took place, Mike DeWine, assess his response as well. Yeah, so we're digging into this particular question right now about how exactly uh, this controlled release happened. So I asked Governor DeWine, did you consult with other uh, experts uh, about whether or not this controlled release made sense prior to approving Norfolk Southern's request for a controlled release? And his answer was, well, the Pentagon helped us with modeling. Uh, and then his administration has refused to answer any other questions from uh, the lever about uh, about the controlled release. Uh, we're digging into it now. I think it's a very good question. I think Governor Shapiro is asking the right set of questions uh, on this matter. We're, we're going to continue digging into it. What we do know is that uh, and we have a, a, an article that will be coming out either today or Monday about this that looks at the DeWine administration's response to this, uh, looks at the DeWine administration's connections to Norfolk Southern. Uh, and and we, we really hope that we can we, – we're, we're definitely going to continue down this path of, of looking into why exactly this controlled release happened and uh, – you know, which in and of itself is is a propagandistic term. You know, it was a massive chemical burn. It wasn't really a controlled release. Um, and let's uh, remember that they didn't even release Norfolk Southern what the chemicals were: carcinogenic benzene, vinyl chloride. Uh, that is, phosgene was a chemical weapon in World War One. Yes. For more than a week after the um, derailment happened, what was it? Right in the middle of uh, uh, on the day of um, of of the of football. Yes. Yeah. And the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, and, and these, you know, as, as folks, you know, any chemical expert will tell you also when these chemicals interact with each other, they can, you know, create new chemicals, you know? And so, and that modeling has not been released about how exactly this interacts with other chemicals that are naturally occurring in the environment with other chemicals that were on the railroad that were released, we don't know. We don't know what the effect was at all. And finally, um, we haven't even mentioned uh, the, um, the News Nation reporter, Evan Lambert, who's with National Association of Black Journalists and News Nation, um, arrested, taken down on the ground as he reported from a DeWine news conference. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm saying on another media appearance that it, you know, it reminds me of my other experiences with uh, logistics reporting is that the logistics system in the U.S. is highly militarized. Uh, the railroads have the only fully privatized police force in the country. Uh, in this case, the reporter got into an argument with uh, the state's adjutant general, the head of the National Guard, and it really appears like you know, that argument immediately devolved into a fairly violent uh, arrest of a reporter. As far as I understand, the last time I checked, those charges against uh, Evan Lambert, this reporter for disorderly conduct, still haven't been dropped. I think they have been dismissed. Okay. 
Okay, thank you. All right. Well, Matthew Cunningham Cook, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Researcher and writer for The Lever. We're going to link to the pieces of The Lever that's done an extraordinary job exposing what's going on in East Palestine, Ohio. Well, from East Palestine to Palestine, next up we speak with Jim Cavallaro, the prominent human rights attorney. Last week, the Biden administration nominated him for a top human rights post and withdrew the nomination um, due in part to his criticism of Israel's human rights record. Back in less than 30 seconds. DemocracyNow.org. I'm Amy Goodman. Leaders in the human rights world are criticizing the Biden administration for withdrawing the nomination of a prominent human rights attorney from a post over the attorney's past comments criticizing Israel. Last Friday, the State Department announced the nomination of James Cavallaro to the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. He previously served on the commission from 2014 to 2017, including a period as its president. This was all during the Obama administration, the Obama-Biden administration. Cavallaro is a widely respected human rights attorney, co-founder and executive director of the University Network for Human Rights. Earlier this week, the State Department withdrew Cavallaro's nomination after reports emerged he described Israel as an apartheid state and had criticized House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries' close ties to APEC the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. This is State Department spokesperson Ned Price speaking Tuesday. His statements clearly do not reflect U.S. policy. Uh, they are not a reflection of what we believe, uh, and uh, they are uh, inappropriate, to say the least. Uh, we have decided to withdraw our nomination of this individual uh, from uh uh, to, to withdraw his nomination to serve on the Inter-American Inter Commission on Human Rights. The Biden administration's decision to withdraw James Cavallaro's nomination has sparked outrage within the human rights community. Agnes Calamar, the Secretary General of Amnesty International, condemned what she called a, quote, state-driven attack on a brilliant human rights lawyer because of his view on Israel apartheid. She went on to say, Quote, the U.S. government has not engaged with the legal and empirical basis of positions on Israel apartheid. Instead, it's censoring, shutting down debates and threatening, she said. Omar Shakir, who is the Israel and Palestine director of Human Rights Watch, said the move, quote, suggests that for the State Department believing that Palestinians deserve basic rights disqualifies one from serving on a human rights body, shameful and yet U.S. foreign policy in a nutshell, he said. James Cavallaro has become just the latest figure to lose or risk losing a position due to his criticism of Israel. Last year, the dean at Harvard University's Kennedy School of Government vetoed a fellowship for former Human Rights Watch Executive Director Kenneth Roth over 
his criticism of Israel's human rights record. Under public pressure, Harvard recently reversed its decision, and Ken Roth is at Harvard Kennedy School now. We're joined now by James Cavallaro in Los Angeles, where he's visiting professor at the UCLA School of Law, also teaches human rights at Wesleyan University. Welcome to Democracy Now! Jim, thanks so much for being with us. Can you explain what happened? First, they're praising you, and then they are withdrawing your nomination from the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights that you had previously served as president of. Yeah, it really was quite a turn of events, and, and many thanks for having me on, on your program, Amy. So on Friday, State Department publicly announced that they had chosen me after an internal process to be the U.S. national candidate to serve as an independent expert. And let me underscore that. It's quite important. As an independent expert on the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights, and as you noted, I had the privilege of serving on the Inter-American Commission in the past as a result of the nomination of the then Obama-Biden administration. So on Friday, they issue a statement. They talk about my background, my knowledge of Latin America, my fluency in other languages, et cetera, all factors in their choosing me to be the candidate. That's Friday. On Monday, uh, I'm contacted by a, a reporter uh, for a, a small outlet who has gone through my Twitter account and pulled up tweets of mine critical of Israeli governmental policies that amount to apartheid, and also critical of the role of money in politics, in particular through APAC, and its donations to candidates who then in turn, unfortunately, I would say provide cover or reduce or eliminate any oversight by the United States government that contributes $4 billion a year to Israel of its human rights record. As a result of those tweets, there's some internal uh, debate within state and maybe above state. This is, again, on Monday, the journalist contacts me, contacts State Department, publishes an article, I think, Monday afternoon. On Tuesday morning, uh, I'm called by folks at the State Department and then by the ambassador to the Organization of American States and informed that the State Department is withdrawing my nomination. And it, it's made clear to me that it's because of, of, the, of the tweets and the statements that you indicated about my characterization of the situation in, in Israel and Palestine as apartheid and the critique of the role of APAC funding in U.S. politics. Let me underscore two things if I could, Amy. First, the role of a commissioner on the Inter-American Commission is not, is not, as representative of the United States, if you're a U.S. national, or representative of Mexico, if you're a Mexican national, and so forth, for the states of the Americas. It's as an independent expert. The reason why they chose me is because for three plus decades, I've been an independent analyst expert. I've documented human rights, primarily in Latin America, but also in other parts of the world, including Israel and Palestine. That's the first important point. And, and the second important point is that the, the decision here, what, what it in effect does is it requires loyalty to a U.S. position on what's happening in Israel and Palestine that is totally out of sync with what every major human rights organization has said. But notwithstanding it being out of sync, it is now in effect a requirement, not just for service within the U.S. government, but for service as an independent expert. And the last thing I would say is, my view is based on my observation, my visits to Israel and Palestine, 
are entirely consistent with the views of Ken Roth, who was on your program when his fellowship was rescinded by the Kennedy School and then reversed, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, the leading Israeli human rights organization, Betzalem, Al-Haq, the Harvard Human Rights Program, and others who have documented what a human rights activist and practitioner and scholar and expert does is document conditions, compare those conditions to international human rights standards and call out violations. And you can't pick and choose states. Nobody gets a free pass. The U.S. doesn't get a free pass. Israel doesn't get a free pass. Palestinian Authority doesn't get a free pass. Egypt, you could go on. No one gets a free pass. That's human rights documentation. That's what it has to be. You mentioned Ken Roth, the former executive director of Human Rights Watch for almost 30 years. He tweeted about your case saying, quote, Biden's dropping of a candidate for a Latin American human rights post because he criticizes the Israeli government's apartheid, a completely mainstream position for any human rights defender, suggests that only Israeli apologists are acceptable, Roth said. And again, as you said, then we did the last month, the Harvard Kennedy School restored um, Ken Roth's fellow. Fellowship after initially rescinding it over his criticism of Israeli human rights abuses. He appeared on Democracy Now! to warn against the chilling effect of Harvard's initial decision. This is a very serious problem. I mean, it's not just a problem for me personally. This is not, you know, impeding my career in a significant way. But I think about, you know, first of all, the younger academics who don't have, you know, the visibility that I do, who are going to take from this lesson the view that if you touch Israel, if you criticize Israel, that can be a career-killing move. You'll get canceled. And that's a disastrous signal to send. To see that whole interview, go to democracynow.org. And again, he's now at the Harvard Kennedy School because there was such international outcry. Harvard caved and re-offered him the, situa- the um, position. But now I want to ask you, Jim Cavallaro, um, about Sarah Margon, who was nominated to serve as Assistant Secretary of State for Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor. And then she came under intense criticism from Senate Republicans, most notably Jim Risch of, Oha- of Idaho, for past tweets purportedly showing she supported BDS, the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Movement. Can you respond to that? Yeah, let me first say that that Ken made an interesting point about young academics. We're seeing right now uh, the unfair pressures that uh, Professor Lara Sheehy is suffering at George Washington University uh, because of her defense of the rights of Palestinians. She's facing, I think, spurious accusations, and she's under a significant amount of pressure. So let me just say that what Ken is talking about is quite real, and I like Ken. Ken perhaps more because of his stature in the field of human rights. Well, I have a platform. I have associations with leading institutions, Wesleyan University. I teach at Yale Law School. I teach at UCLA. I teach at Columbia Law School. And You're still, a this has been at a really difficult Law. experience. Long time professor at Stanford Law School. So what do you do now? I mean, again, yes, this- I'm sorry. I also turned to Harvard and Stanford Law Schools. Thank you. So, so what, the other... I'm sorry, Amy, the other question you had was about Sarah Morgan, no? Yes. So I'm sorry, but to just to complete with her, you have a situation where, again, her positions, her stated positions, working for Human Rights Watch on Israel and Palestine don't square with U.S. foreign policy, which, again, is out of line. The view of the United States is a non-mainstream view. It is an extreme view. It is not the majority view of those who have documented conditions in Israel and Palestine. 
And it's probably worth flagging here if I could, what we're talking about, there's a legal definition of apartheid. It's domination by one group, one racial group or ethnic group over another. And that is quite clear in terms of land confiscations, in terms of expansions of settlements, in terms of the building permits that are denied to Palestinians, voting rights that are denied to Palestinians, freedom of movement that is denied to Palestinians, which highway you can be on. You can't be on if you're Palestinian. You can't get a building permit. Uh, the situation in Gaza, et cetera, et cetera. Human Rights Watch put out a dense report documenting this. So did Amnesty. Uh, so have other groups. But with Sarah Morgan, her position was to serve in the, within state, but with a focus on human rights. That person should be a human rights expert. That's problematic when there's a litmus test on, on Israel and Palestine, which is not consistent with human rights, which is required in order to serve. It's honestly even more concerning when it's a litmus test as well to serve as an independent expert. I would not have represented the United States government. And I would have had absolutely no remit over Israel and Palestine. The Inter-American Commission oversees human rights in the Western Hemisphere. That's the other hemisphere, Israel and Palestine. So the expansion, unfortunately, of the areas in which one has to abide by U.S. policy, even as a human rights activist, even in Latin America, is really, really concerning. Well, we're going to continue to follow this. Uh, Jim Cavallaro, we want to thank you so much for being with us. Professor at Westland, visiting professor at UCLA School of Law, before that taught at Harvard at Stanford Law School for many years. The Biden administration just withdrew his nomination to serve on the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights, which he already served on from 2014 to 2017 and was president of for a period of that time. Next up, we speak with the Brazilian indigenous leader, um, uh, about Lula's trip to Washington and Bolsonaro committing genocide in the Amazon. Stay with us. Org. I'm Amy Guzman. Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva was in Washington last week meeting with President Biden, talking about the climate crisis and preserving the Amazon. The meeting came just over a month after supporters of Brazil's former leader, Jair Bolsonaro, attempted a coup shortly after Lula's inauguration. This week, Bolsonaro announced he plans to return to Brazil to lead the opposition. Last week, I spoke to Davi Kopanawa Yanomami, a leader and shaman for the Yanomami people, one of the largest indigenous tribes in Brazil. While he was in Washington, D.C., while Lula was meeting with Biden, the Brazilian government recently expelled thousands of illegal gold miners from Yanomami land. In January, Lula visited with the Yanomami people and accused Bolsonaro's government of committing genocide. I asked Davi Kopanawa Yanomami about Lula and the plight of the Yanomami people. Hey, um, the people from the city that non-indigenous society are listening to what I have to say. You asked me, what does President Lula 
represent. For me, my people, the indigenous people of Brazil, he has thought about us. He's thought about how to resolve the problems that we've been facing for so many years. For me, Lula is a positive person. He's like a friend. He's like a friend of the forest peoples. He wants to save the life of my Yanomami people and to save the lives of our rivers, our forests. He is a, a very good thinker. He has planned thinking. He has promised to remove the miners from the Yanomami territory. He has also promised to minimize the deforestation of the Amazon forest. So he is following through on his word. He is the only president who has been elected on the ticket of helping the forest peoples, helping the indigenous people of Brazil and other persons who really need help. So he was very good. He went to visit us in Boa Vista on January 21st. He went to Boa Vista to see up close, to meet our children who are suffering malnutrition, illness, and hunger. So he really went there to get a close-up look in order to figure out what he's going to do. That is the positive work that he's doing against the illegal miners who have been destroying our rivers, killing our fish, and allowing for the expansion of malaria, flu, parasites, and other diseases that have been brought in by the illegal miners and which are destroying our health. So I'm a friend of him. I've known him for a long time. He already resolved other situations, such as the Raposa Serra do Sol. So he is continuing to help us, Yanomami and Boa Vista. We really need him. Can you talk about what this raiding of the illegal gold miners by the government, uh, what actually has taken place? How is the government uh, cutting off their supplies to allow them to um, devastate the area of the Anamami? Well, let me explain. I'm going to explain about the removal of the invaders who engaged in illegal mining. They've been here for a long time, practically eight years. During that time, no government has ever paid us any attention. So the president of Brazil, he is fulfilling the role that he promised he would. He has sent security forces, the federal police, Obama, the environmental agency, and this is all tied in with the Amazon forest, our land, but he is expelling them. The uh, miners should not be there. The miners who are there to take the wealth of this land, well, that's because they don't have land to work on. The government of Brazil has not given the these miners any place to work in their own place. And it, my Yanomami people have been living here for many years, and they've come and are doing illegal work. No authority has allowed the miners to cause damage to our rivers and to our health, the health of our people, our traditional people. And not everyone speaks Portuguese. 
And the disease doesn't come by itself. The disease disease comes with the illegal mining. The illegal mining is not going to bring any good benefit to my Yanomami people. They have just brought a disease to kill my people, to leave my people sick and hungry. Wherever the illegal miners work, they're not taking care of my people. The miners are bringing disease. And the miners leave, but the disease stays. The disease has no border. There's no way to get rid of the disease. The miners leave, they go home, and they leave in the wake a dirty land, dirty water, pollution. And the uh, disease will remain as well. It doesn't go away straight away. So the Brazilian government is trying to resolve the problem. The problem is going to continue mistreating my people. So the miners are also exploited by the rich. They're sent by the authorities who have money. I want to say the miners are never going to get rich taking out my gold to, and killing my people, my brothers and sisters and children. You mentioned disease that the Yanomami people face, that the illegal gold miners bring in, but it's also mercury contamination. Um, uh, this issue of the use of mercury for gold mining um, needed to extract the gold, over 90% of the Yanomami have mercury levels in a number of communities that are far higher than the world or health organization recommends. Um, mercury is not found natively in the area. Can you talk about the effects of mercury poisoning on the children, on the Anamami people, adults as well? I'm going to explain. I don't know, or our forest peoples don't know of any illegal miner who doesn't use mercury. Mercury causes uh, illness in one's body. Mercury is poison. You can't eat mercury. You don't eat mercury. It harms our health. So everyone knows that mercury isn't food. Mercury isn't water. And mercury is not for eating. Mercury, which you're asking about, well, the miners who work without uh, mercury aren't going to get the gold. They place the mercury where the gold is to separate it out, to clean it. And then the mercury stays in the water. And we, the community, we're downriver. The community is by the river's edge. So the Yanomami draw their water from the river for cooking, to drink, and for bathing. Our children like to bathe. Everyone likes to bathe, so they bathe. And then the mercury remains in their hair. It also enters the, through the ears and the eyes. And the children, adults, and the elders are also getting mercury poisoning, not just the children. Adults are getting mercury poisoning as well. So uh, mercury is uh, business for other countries. It comes from far away, I think, from Japan and elsewhere where they began to use mercury. And then now it's killing my indigenous people. So they 
continue to use mercury. People are going to cook and drink water, and it's dirty water. The only thing is it goes uh, flows through the rivers in the Yanomami area. The mining is at the headwaters. Uh, the rivers that are contaminated are the Katrimani, the Apiayu, the Mukajai, and the Uraricuera. And it also impacts the Orinoco River in Venezuela and in the Anamama region as well, in the Maturaca. There's water that originates in the, the mountains, and that's where the miners are, at the headwaters of the mountains. And so mercury is uh, harming our rivers, the rivers from which we drink water. That's what I wanted to explain for you to understand. And also, those of you who live in the cities, you're not drinking contaminated water, no. So that is very bad. It's very bad. And believe me, it's causing serious harm to our rivers. And as you say, it is a crime. Killing the forest, contaminating the rivers, contaminating our fish, and our children are contaminated by mercury. The children's hair is beginning to fall out. The illegal mining in the Anamami territory is mistreating my people, my indigenous people. That never happened. We've never seen disease like this, where it's uh, so hard to heal. The mercury is going to continue in the holes that they have made, and it's going to create more illness. This is what the miners leave behind and causing this uh, harm to our planet Earth. Okay, I'm going to let it go, but you got the idea, everybody. Uh, it's time to go. A feeder saying, good night. I fleet, I float. I fleet, I float, I fly. Good night. Good night. <laughs> good night. Namaste, everyone. Sat now. Sat nam ji. Aho, Until we meet again tomorrow and Rainbird. I know you're there, but maybe you got a real quick last word. I pass the talking stick to you. Well, you said it all. I was being saying good night. So we'll see you this afternoon. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much, Rainbird. All right. And thank you. Thank you, Beth. Namaste and sweet dreams, everyone. Until we meet again. Aho. Namaste.